0: Binge Movies, the revolutionary force in movie reviews.
1: Too soon.
0: Well, I don't mean the afterlife. I just mean oh. what's on the other side of real spoilers for you? What are you going to do with your life when real spoilers is done?
1: Oh, geez. When I'm about 80,
0: you just plan on keeping it going forever, huh?
1: I don't think there's any end in sight, but who knows?
0: Well, Tom is eventually going to die sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, he'd be about 160 at that <laughs> point, I guess. <laughs> right. So.
0: Yeah, i just going to replace. Now, you have enough. You're at what, 700 episodes? You have enough Tom tape. Oh, for
1: AI? Yeah. For AI. Yeah.
0: Oh, Maybe by that time,
1: to... t- yeah. Give it five more years. We feed it all that audio. Oh, yeah.
0: Joe's going to be tougher to do AI with because Yeah. in my mind, the image that I have for Joe with podcasting is- Pants off. No, no, no. Spilling oh. a bucket of paint. <laughs> have you ever spilled <laughs> a whole bucket of paint and it just goes into a million different directions? That's Joe.
1: <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's IQ.
0: beautiful, right? Yeah, like, well, it's some IQ. some would say it's art, but it it's <laughs> it's expressionist. Coming to you from the last video store in the universe, it's binge movies, episode 131. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank Movies of 2012. Where were you in 2012? What were you up to? What were you doing? What did your life look like a decade ago?
1: Jeez, that is a great question. I I sometimes have trouble remembering what I did earlier in the same day. So yeah. I'm thinking 2012. That is a lifetime ago, ten years ago. Let's see. I'm well, and it's hard too because that's probably around divorce time. That I see. Kind of crazy back then, you know. It was a it was a weird time, you know, trying to figure stuff out again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever when after your divorce did you ever get a sad bachelor pad?
1: No, I didn't because luckily things worked out to where I kept the house oh wow, so yeah, it just uh things worked out really well I mean the way you know that i i as far as I didn't have to move i mean things yeah. were Split equally when it came to paper, but um, not having to move. I mean, no one likes to move, right? That's one of the worst yeah. things. So, I've have you had ever had to,
0: to see that person again? Do you ever have to see that person again?
1: The mother of my child, yes. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, in 2012, I was actually getting married and I am now divorced. Yeah. So, uh, it's, this would have been my 10th wedding anniversary. Uh, I didn't make it. I didn't even make it to the the double digits. Uh, it failed very quickly. And, uh, let's just say that if there's a theme for this season, it would be if I could put myself into a time tunnel, if I could put myself into a quantum leap sort of experience and, and put right those things that once went wrong, I would change a lot about my life over the last 10 years. Some people say, well, I, you know, I've lived, I don't really have any regrets. Kevin, I'm facing I'm facing a lot of harsh realities about life and I have nothing but regrets.
1: But, you know, I think that you have to view things like that as a learning opportunity people always say things like there's no use looking in the rear view mirror and all that and it's good to reflect it's good to learn and to grow that's how i would like to look at those things yeah. not so much as failures but learning experiences so yeah. as long as you take something from it every there's a lesson to be learned in all of these things and uh, it, you know you got to look at the bright side man
0: okay can i throw something out at you just get your advice since you're giving me good advice hey, a hypothetical called-
1: called binge movies it's not a real spoiler so you're in control here my friend ask away
0: okay good um let's say hypothetically you were <clears throat> let me try to create a believable scenario um say hypothetically you were an employee of a dark shadowy mega media conglomerate mm-hmm. and for legal purposes cannot be named and you are part of a clandestine operation within their vertically integrated company uh, to prepare for uh, a cosmic collapse. Uh, and let's say that in the course of your business, you had to manipulate the space time continuum for profits. And let's say, h- hypothetically, okay, you're managing this operation and. You're supposed to be keeping track of certain quantum field stabilities, and mm. you didn't really read the manual. And wow. you lost track of some things and some inanimate uh, matter from the netherverse started slipping through and um, distorting, hypothetically, distorting um, the timeline, space, memories. Uh, and you know you were let, let's just say you're feeling the physical effects of some quantum reality distortion
1: well first of all we've all been there right i mean yeah uh, yeah 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 it, it's a hypothetical
0: it's, but i think we can all relate
1: we can relate right and uh that's actually yeah. what that uh you may have heard of this comic strip called garfield that's what that was about actually oh mondays that was what happened on monday and why he oh mondays.
0: i see I see, yeah.
1: I think you would have to embrace it because it sounds like it's going to be hard to put that nether, uh, those nether, I don't know what you want to call them, spirits or nether entities. It's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. hard to to put them back in the can once they're out. Yeah. So Once I think something's to, out of
0: the nether regions, you can't put it back in.
1: That's what they always tell me. So yeah. I think you're just going to have to embrace it. You're going to have to say, hey... I get to live these different realities. I get new memories because you know yeah. sometimes old memories, as mentioned, can suck. Right, so embrace yeah. the new memories, lean into it, yeah. and uh, I don't know, maybe write some some cool stories about it. You're you're getting into just a little bit above my pay grade.
0: I see. I thought if anybody could answer these questions, it was you. And now you're telling me I'm overestimating your skill set. I think you're a liar. You're the guy who set up Review STL. It powers mm-hmm. real spoilers for over damn near 700 episodes. If you're powering a podcast for 700 episodes, when most podcasts put out nine, you have to understand something about slip st- sl- you know, slipstreaming realities, knee marbles, all this sort of stuff.
1: Are you saying that to get to 700 podcasts, you have to essentially sell your soul to the devil and have some kind of otherworldly influence to guide you?
0: Yeah, you keep putting it in spiritual terms. I like to put it in scientific terms, sir. This netherverse is not necessarily hell. It is not necessarily it, it isn't. But it's a space well, between you mentioned,
1: spaces. You mentioned ex-wives, so that's where yeah, my mind yes, went. I that apologize. Is hell. You're yeah. right.
0: That's true. That's true. Well, yeah, that's true. Now that you put in those that context, maybe it is hell.
1: Uh, for legal purposes, I will not be answering that question. <laughs>
0: okay well for legal purposes i think i need to move along because all of this was hypothetical anyways <laughs> and if anybody from corporate would happen to be listening the quantum field is completely stable and uh pieces of akron ohio are not falling off into the abyss so no. everything's going great here let's talk about some movies from 2012 let's start with 2012 skyfall which currently has a 92 percent on rotten tomatoes 007 reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. How much do you know about fear? All oh, there is. Not like this. Not like him. She sent you after me, knowing you're not ready, knowing you would likely die. Mommy was very bad. Skyfall was directed by Sam Mendes. It was written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and John Logan. It's the triumph return of Daniel Craig, last seen in Tomb Raider. It's the triumph return of Judy Dench, last seen in Tomorrow Never Dies. This film was released October 23rd or 23 October 2012 in London, October 26th, 2012, uh, in the United Kingdom I'm not reversing that for you you know what, how to say it the right way November 9th 2012 in the United States on a budget of between 150 and $200 million this movie made 1.109 Billy the sins of M's past are visited upon her and her spiritual heirs
1: um, I made up a uh, fake title for this one uh, go for it mine was James Bond Home Alone <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have a title for it. Yes, I guess the end is kind of Home, alone, home Alone-ish. Kind of. I have a title kind for of. this. <laughs> you could really call it Mission Impossible Skyfall. Okay, that's fair.
1: Be- that's fair.
0: Because, he, okay, he, even when I, I posted on Twitter, hey, we're going to be talking about Skyfall. And the a bunch of people commented, and they all said the same thing, which is, I don't like James Bond movies per se. But that's the one that I like, or that's the one that got me into it. Not Casino Royale, not Quantum of Solace, not any of them. Skyfall. And I would put myself in that category. If anyone's listened to binge movies for any length of time, knows that I detest the Brosnan era. Nothing against him. I don't think he's the problem. It's just the tone and the ideas. It's like kind of stupid, silly, campy. They all kind of feel like Batman and Robin to, to greater or lesser extents. Uh See, that was
1: my first bond though. So it's it's holds a special place. Goldeneye was my first, so it's like I have that nostalgia built in.
0: I have some nostalgia for the video game. I always played as odd job and I crouched. I crouched, I spammed mm-hmm. the crouch button, I threw my hat. Fuck all of you. I'm gonna win this game but we've already been down that road now we're in a new millennium where we're a series of movies into this more serious reimagining continuity be damned it never existed in this series anyways it's 2012 and we have arguably the most accessible bond film ever made uh this thing was a huge if i could call it a crossover it's very weird to call you know there are certain entry in a James Bond series, which they've been making these movies for seemingly 60 years to, to they go, well, this one's the crossover because obviously this is a mega franchise, but this one definitely felt like non Bond folks like myself went to the theater to see it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think this is the one other than the fact that it's basically a mission possible movie? Why do you think this is the one that grabbed people even after Casino Royale and a few others?
1: Well, I really do think the Home Alone aspect of it is, like, all kidding aside, the last half hour of this movie is James Bond playing Kevin McAllister. And (laughs) I think it's so not James Bond that you get a different type of person that people are used to the suave james bond with the little bow tie and he's you know doing stuff at the casino not there isn't any because this movie does actually have a casino in it but they're used to that more traditional bond like you see in casino royale and here it flips the script because you see bond essentially die at the beginning and he he goes and kind of at least for a little bit, becomes not Bond. So you've got a point in the film where he's basically not James Bond, doing, you know, doing his thing kind of semi-retired. And then he comes back, but he comes yeah. back not the same Bond. He can't pass any of his tests. They still put him out there anyway. And then in the end, the last third act is Home Alone. So there's so little James Bond going on that... I think there's enough there for people that like the series to go, okay, we got James Bond. We got Q, we got M, we got money, penny. Eventually we got all this stuff here. It's a James Bond movie. And everyone else is like, I like this. It's not really a James Bond movie. You know, it's like both sides can argue those points.
0: Yeah. I think the plot structure of this one in particular with essentially he, he is dead for more or less. He's, He's left for dead. Right. and it didn't really matter this is he gets burned essentially by mi6 just in the same way that uh uh oh. ethan hunt would be burned by the you know impossible mission force the imf oh
1: and don't does he get burned those in, this, in those movies doesn't he
0: <laughs> yeah always oh every time i mean, i, yet I he was, has worked for them for 30 years
1: <laughs> yeah I, after the last movie i'm like you know maybe this guy should maybe stop working for them because it's like every single time he they hunt him he's they're trying to kill him they leave him for dead he ends up saving the day and finds yes. the real villains <laughs> brings them the device that is going to save the world you know or stop yes. the world from being blown up and they're like oh great and then the next movie they're like oh ethan hunt is on the run he's the he's betrayed yeah. us again and it's like no You're right it, he's been disavowed worst- again <laughs> Yeah, the most reliable person in the world is Ethan yes. Hunt, and you know he never betrays you. So, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. If if <laughs> no no agent has spent more time on the disavowed list, yeah. he spent more time being disavowed than avowed in the Mission Impossible world. But I love those movies, and I think this is this feels like those movies plot wise, stylistically, the action sequences, and I did not see Casino Royale or Quantum of Solace. I I did not see this was my first Daniel Craig Bond film at the time. I've since gone back and, and watched all of them, including Spectre. And in fact, after this movie came out, I was like on board. And I saw Spectre, and I was like, oh, no, I'm out again. This is terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, but everybody, so yeah. I saw them all and was on board since Casino Royale. Quantum of Solace isn't as good as Casino Royale, but I love Casino Royale. I
0: think this is did really good. Honestly, coming to Quantum of Solace much later, I didn't think it was that bad. Everybody was like, this is terrible. And I watched, I it, time- I watched it last year, I think. And I was like, you know what? It's pretty good
1: no no no, it, and it's not bad it's not a bad movie at all i just mean it's not as good as casino royale so i think yeah. it takes that little slump there and then you come back with this one and it's really good but specter everyone agrees on yes is the weakest of this series and then i thought no time to die was pretty solid as well so yeah i, I saw i, I of,
0: came back and saw that one in theaters and i definitely thought that was a solid entry you know you know and not a lie. really yeah. a
1: lie in the title right there there was time <laughs> it, we, i was there yes a real there was plenty snitch. of
0: time to die is that movie was four hours long and then right as a long he died. Movie.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> everything about it was a lie yes but but the props
1: to them for having the guts to do it because yes that is something you didn't think you would ever see. And like you mentioned, continuity is not this franchise's strong suit. No. It doesn't matter what you do. You kill him off. We knew we were never going to see Daniel Craig again. We thought this might be his last one. He was so, right. uh, you know, people asking him, about, oh, have you signed up for the next one? And isn't this the one where he's like, I'd rather slip my wrist than think about shards of glass, of yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, we honestly didn't know if we were going to get another yeah. one. So yeah. the fact he made it to five and it was that good and it's like, okay. You kill them off, but none of it matters. They'll all be back. And-
0: well, I guess that's my question because this movie makes a big deal about really giving us, maybe for the first time in franchise history, and I'm certainly no Bond expert, but some backstory to Bond because it turns out that M and MI6 had this penchant of recruiting orphans, basically, people who had no real family ties whatsoever. Uh, James is apparently one of those people, the H- Javier Bardem character is essentially a a a negative doppelganger of James right they've both were left for dead uh James ultimately chooses loyalty to M even though she more or less betrayed him as opposed to the villain of the piece who chooses revenge and wants to bring down MI6 piece by piece um speaking of continuity that Judy Dench is the M from the Brosnan series but is she the same ma'am is it a different universe what the hell yeah it's, well, <laughs> it's a different cue and everything else about it's different except for her they uh, play
1: really <laughs> fast and loose with those rules and i don't yeah. think there's a actual explanation i mean no I there is totally wrong but th- the fact that the same actors carry on and then they hire new people and they call them their call signs just like 007 is a call yeah. sign it's not an actual person it's uh yeah know, a denomination, or however you want to say it, uh, for for that agent. So yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it, it's weird, but that's the thing is that I don't think you ever really in these movies are, need to or are supposed to worry about that. This movie does the most explanation of that stuff, but it doesn't ultimately matter at the end of the day. And you're well. That's see- that's
0: that's getting to my question, Kevin. Now that yeah. we've got more backstory about James and it doesn't really factor into the final movie in this entry of this continuity of this series of Daniel Craig series, did anything in this movie actually matter at the end of the day, other than the the death of M or this M uh, does anything here now that we're 10 years removed? Cause I remember watching it, and I, it. Here's, here's what it, here's what I'm getting at with this movie What this movie felt like as a non bond fan is it felt like it did the thing that, None of the other Bonds did really. Uh, And again, at this point, having not seen Casino Royale, so forth and so on, it felt like it, it gave stakes to the Bond character and made him an actual person and an actual character and not just an avatar for kind of adolescent male fantasy of I want to be the coolest guy in the room who can kill anybody and sleep with any hot woman I want and, you know, drink a bunch of booze and never get a belly and travel around the world and be in exotic locations. This movie does some of those things, but also gets rid of a lot of those things. And it's like, no, nah, he's just a man and he can be broken. And in this movie, he is broken and he is old and he is over the hill. And it does have a sense of finality to it a little bit. It does have a sense that this might be the end of the road for, if nothing else, Daniel Craig is this character. And no, we're actually going to deal with the fact that maybe MI6 isn't, you know, the heroic you know, savior of the world. Maybe there's something shady going on here. And we, and maybe M is shady. And like, again, it's just adding texture and stakes to this world of James Bond, which we really hadn't seen before. At least I hadn't seen before. And then does any of it really matter? (laughs) At the end of the day, does anything that happens here and adding complexity to the James Bond character, do you feel like it added to the rest of the series with Spectre and No Time to Die? or was this just a good standalone movie
1: i think it matters i do i i think it could work on its own i think it could have been the last daniel craig bond and they could have soft rebooted with you know the next guy and that could have worked too but this movie had these movies feel like direct sequels where none of the other movies Ever feel like they tie into each other? There are very few things, and I'm not a Bond expert by any means, but I know there are very few little things that actually carry on between movies. And yeah. so it's not just the actor is changing, but they don't really reference things that happen in previous movies. Again, it's seldom that that happens. So this movie has connective tissue, and they make Bond, like you said, they give him some characterization where you understand his backstory and who he is as a person. And then it follows carries forward with blofeld and all that stuff for better or worse and we still we get this idea of bond and family and how he became the person that he is today so i do think that all when you look at the five movies you know as this you know if you were to have them stand on their own as the 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 uh daniel craig bond set th- the, i think at the big picture it's like they painted a picture of who james bond is and the humanity behind him and ultimately when he does choose to settle down with someone as you saw with the new one that things go to crap and how can he ever really trust people because right. it seems like he's always getting betrayed and screwed over and he sleeps with the bond girls and then half of them betray him and the other half die and say,
0: yeah they die or they die yeah or yeah, they betray it, him and then they die right so yeah <laughs> It's like
1: you see this guy that's yeah. been through all this yeah. and you understand why he doesn't trust and why he doesn't get, you know, connected and then he does and look what happens and it's heartbreaking and so by the time you get to that fifth movie I think all this characterization really does help and you know they they go places with that fifth one again which are really gutsy I think because at the end of the day he is like you said he is just a man he is human and he ultimately gives his life to you know, for the people he loves, and for the the cause that he's been fighting for his entire career. So, uh, and to save the world. So, I I do I do think it matters.
0: So, you think ten years later, this movie the Skyfall actually matters to the I, legacy of the Daniel Craig films?
1: I do, and if nothing else not even for those reasons that i just mentioned but look it gets people in that don't necessarily care about bond it it gives them an entry point where i think if this is your first james bond movie like if you were as an adult to watch oh let me check out these james bond movies and you get in with this one i think it's a really good entry point to the rest of them and i think that's a neat thing that a series can do especially one that has had like 25 movies now this is the 23rd i believe so it's a daunting task to say hey come check out this movie you've never seen a james bond movie start with 23 but (laughs) if you were gonna do it number 23 is a pretty good place to start
0: well you know i i really struggle with this movie this time around this is one of the like i said this was my first of the craig movies i really liked it i saw it in theaters uh i bought it as soon as i could get my hands on it when it came out digitally and physically i've got the blu-ray it's part of my digital library and i rewatched it as i do for all of these episodes and i enjoyed the movie but i took absolutely nothing away from it Hmm. and that that so very rarely happens and it was such a interesting experience for me because again Not that I had never seen James Bond movies, I had, but I was not a fan of the series. So Mm -hmm. I didn't check out Casino Royale, despite everybody saying it was the greatest thing ever. And I watched this movie, and by the end of Washington theaters, I found myself really emotionally, if not moved, drawn in. I was drawn in by the story that this movie tells about James Bond and and the death of judy denge and m and it felt significant to me and important to me in a way that kind of took me by surprise because the series didn't really mean anything to me at all period in, in any of the 23 or 22 previous films and yet when i'm watching it this time on the other side of knowing how this version this soft reboot of the james bond series has ended I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed the action sequences. I think my favorite sequence in the entire film is when he's trying to take out the assassin, the sniper, and it's a very almost John Wick-esque thing where he grabs onto the bottom of the elevator and he goes up. and I love the use of reflection and color and mirrors and glass and windows and all this sort of I stuff. Mean,
1: Roger Dink- Deakins is a genius. So Yes. It's, it's an incredible looking sequence
0: yeah uh I think it's an amazing sequence, and maybe my favorite sequence in the film i I do love the we're really strongly liked the last half hour of the film too of the the home alone sequences or at least the, you know they're they're there on the moors and he's you know they're using secret compartments and this that whatever to get through and you know, the, if you the put the house, home
1: alone the... music to these scenes because when <laughs> i was watching it that's what i did in my head if you were to like <screening> <laughs> i mean if you put that music to it it would be perfect i i wonder if they edited it to the home alone music because it just well it,
0: it... when the helicopter shows up instead of playing whatever it could play the home alone music right, and you'd have the, it'd be perfect <laughs> yeah And, but when the movie ended, I had nothing, I had no thoughts. I had no notes. I had nothing to take away from it. It was like, that's a very good, solid movie. That's a very good film. But I, I, it oddly did not affect me in any particular way If anything. I think it's maybe a little bit overly long. I think it's maybe about 20 minutes too long. And it was just a fine, it was just a fine film. And that kind of surprised me because I watched it not that long ago. I guess it's been a couple of years, but, and I was like, that's great. And I don't know if it has something to do with watching it with the other films on this particular list. It may have just been the day that it hit me, but, or I was, if you've, you've seen no time to die now, I wonder, I think that's it.
1: You kind of ultimately know where the path leads to and how it ends, yeah. And so I, it is interesting how you can, I mean, retroactively change your opinion of something where but that's like a, it's like a TV show that goes off the rails, right? Like whether it be Lost or Game of Thrones, where it's the Walking Dead—it's amazing, Dead. it's, it's amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing television. And you know, and I've I've revisited Lost, and I appreciate it more now than at the time because at the time I had dedicated a decade of my life or whatever, and then I'm like, yeah, that that is where we're going with this whole thing. But you know, it can be great, the best thing ever, and then all of a sudden the future thing happens, and now looking back on it, it, it kind of changes your your original thoughts so it can happen it happens all the time
0: again it's not a bad movie how could it be it's sam mendes like it's roger deakins it's got great action it's got good actors it's got a good villain it's got a good dialogue but there's something of the emotional stakes which has now been now that might change again in another 10 years but at this point looking back 10 years in the past which is the point of this episode here's how i feel about the movie now And this isn't the only movie that my opinions have changed about in the last over 10 years. And so this was an interesting experiment.
1: Yeah, I I your thoughts kind of make me feel similar about another movie and I'll tell you when we get there. But I had <laughs> I had a similar experience, so I can see where you're coming from. But I yeah, to me this one holds up. I really I really think it deserves the praise it got at the time. I think it holds up as one of the better ones of these of the Daniel Craig era. Yeah. And and yeah, it's a it's a solid movie. It's entertaining, if nothing else. And yeah, uh, I guess I, I think you know you did take away some things, even though you said you left. Feeling nothing, but you told me some experience, some thoughts that you had, and I mean, maybe they came from the first viewing more so. But I mean, I still got all that stuff about the characterization and in yeah. his backstory and get, making him human and not invincible, and all those seeds were planted in this one, which paid off in the fifth one of his. So yeah, yeah, I very it.
0: true. So if you had to give this one a score out of ten, what would you give it? Where does it rank for you?
1: Well, I gave this one an eight out of ten. And it is Smack Dab in the Middle, number three.
0: Wow. See, I think you're going to come with one of these outliers because you're on this episode for a reason. And it's not for <laughs> Skyfall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's too uh, easy. I, Skyfall's solid, but, you know.
0: That's I give easy. this an 8.5 after everything that I said. It's an 8.5 out of 10 for me because it is a solid, entertaining film. There's, I can't pinpoint something and with go, it, with it, you know, now 10 years later, this stinks that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is part of the like the that emotional connection i had with the film has changed and has maybe diminished and so therefore yeah i recognize all those things about it but I just, it just doesn't immerse me or suck me in as much as it used to and so for that reason it is my number two for the week it's it's a little bit higher than you in score and rank but that's That's about it So we're pretty close on that one This is the one I'm real curious on It's not the reason why you're here But I'm curious what you think Because I had a heck of an experience watching this Uh, I'm I'm talking about Zero Dark Thirty Which currently has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes You really believe this story? Osama Bin Laden? Yeah What part convinced you? Her confidence When was the last time you saw him? You'll never find him we have to stop the next attack. We need to get Bin Laden. Zero Dark Thirty in Cinemas Friday. Zero Dark Thirty was directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's written by Mark Boyle with a triumphal return of Chris Pratt lasting in uh, Avengers Endgame, I think. It was released December 10th, 2012 in LA, December 19th, 2012, wide across the United States, on a budget of somewhere between 40 and 52.5. I just love that. It's either 40 or or $52.5 <laughs> million. It It made $132.8 million, so uh, fairly shy of a billy. An obsessive agent goes to any lengths to find Osama bin Laden, despite the interference and incompetence of the agency she works for. Let's start with some controversy here, Kevin. This movie is controversial for a number of reasons. Number one, the portrayal of uh, Pakistan. As well as uh the inaccurate portrayal of Pakistani nationals speaking Arabic instead of Urdu, uh and other regional languages uh that are would be more true to uh the people who actually live there. Um, some people accuse this movie of being too pro-Obama. I can you can just guess who those people are. <laughs> I won't have to fill in their names. Just look up your local villain. And that's who says that. Um, and then other people say it gives Obama too much credit and it actually, you know, downplays the role of previous administrations. Da, 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 da. Those controversies aside, I think what this movie is, is, is again, revisiting for the first time. I've seen it once in 2012 and that was it. The movie is a procedural. Mm-hmm. It, it is, it's, it, it is, it is a procedural film just as, just as much as there are procedural television series because what is primarily focused on more so than its characters and more so than necessarily an accuracy for history is the procedure of what it takes to get intel and find people and and in this case it's Osama bin Laden and the cost of all of that it is the antithesis of Skyfall it's what if what do real spies do? And what does real tradecraft look like in the real world? And it looks like a lot of people spend sleepless nights in front of computers. Right. It's and desk work. It's desk work. That's exactly right. It's meetings, it's middle management, it's bosses, it's bullshit, it's horseshit and hassles. And the story of this movie is the driver, more so than the characters, more so than action. It is the story of what the work is, what it was, and all these sorts of things. Upon revisiting it, the, this is not Chastain's best work. I don't think she's very good in this movie, and I wouldn't have said that ten years ago. But having seen her now, ten years later, as an actress, now looking back at, it, I'm like, I think she's actually the weakest part of this movie.
1: Were you thinking that when she was talking to Kyle Chandler in the hallway?
0: Yes, that's exactly that's the exactly
1: scene. that's yes! exactly I thought
0: of that. That's so, the exact scene where I was like, oh, this just yep. stinks. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that is supposed to be this big powerful
1: monologue it was and she's, terrible she's, she's just not delivering it and I, i'm telling you it is we, this is the movie by the way the one i was just telling you about yeah where i would let you know where when this movie came out i was on board with everyone else and yeah, i think yep. it's maybe because of where the country was at the time And it was exactly. like yeah, america you know finally we got him and and pro america and we're the best and whatever yep. but this far removed and War is terrible and there's more war stuff going on now and it's so horrible and we're so tired and it's just, I think I'm at a place right now where I don't want anything that glamorizes any of it. I not saying it's not necessary, but watching it, I didn't get the same feeling. I wasn't like, this is a movie where I think it was good when it came out. I never would choose to watch this again if i weren't this podcast right so i I was watching it and it was tough to get through because i'm like i don't want to watch this movie like yeah you know and i i thought jessica chastain was great in it when i first saw it i like jason clark i like joel edgerton i I like mark strong like i these people that are in it i like these actors and again i think at the time in 2012 i was like yeah awesome america won. kind of a mentality but now watching it, I'm just like, this It's But here's not- the thing.
0: You're exactly right, Kevin, because here, here's what we have the benefit or the, the disadvantage mm-hmm. of knowing now, which is, okay, we killed this guy 10 years after 9-11. And we were in the Middle East 10 years after that. Right. It changed nothing. So it, in the moment, yeah, when this movie came out, maybe it felt like some kind of a victory. Symbolic. Symbolic. But it changed nothing. It changed absolutely nothing in the long term as far as our presence over there, the, the the amount of casualties. We continued fighting over there. And the movie does this interesting thing, which is it essentially I could make the argument, and maybe I'm wrong, but watching this movie now, it feels like it doesn't take a particular stance on the events that it's showing us. It's just showing us these events. So when we're watching this torture, I don't feel that there's something that is being conveyed to us in a way that is like, oh, we're pro-torture or we're anti-torture. I I think
1: think that's the the thing that it's very early on in the movie. So I think it really set the tone for the rest of the film as now we know and have heard so many reports of all the awful things that happened and how they were... Uh, not you know, i don't know if you want to call them war crimes or not you know against the geneva convention or however you want to describe these acts that happen supposedly because you know how do you get the real story but right in this movie they show them happening and eventually we get to the point where we quote unquote won and there was no disavowing it there was no saying this was wrong there was no commentary on it and there's
0: lip service to the fact that the intel that is provided through extraordinary rendition and torture are basically are mostly useless and history has proved that to be true that most of the intel we got wasn't true because people after under a certain state of duress people will say anything to stop right. the duress but this movie
1: so, doesn't address that this no, movie it shows doesn't. it happening yeah at it, it first jessica chastain is kind of skeeved out by it like the audiences but then she's like you know, let me get in there and be more active. And even though she isn't doing the torture part of it, but like, she never is like, let me try this a different way. That's actually more effective. It never addresses it and says, there are better ways. There are ways we should be doing it. It just kind of skirts to the side of it. And then again, we end up winning. So it's like, I I thought it really looked bad the way that they show that and don't address it and don't, you know, don't, don't say, Hey, this is wrong. Let's do it this other way. You know what I mean? It's just by letting it happen and not having a stance, like you said, it felt worse than having an opinion on it. And so, and then again, the rest of it was just like, okay, I know what happens from a historical standpoint, but I'm not like sitting there cheering at this point. Like, you know, and nothing engages yes. me with this movie. Like, yeah, go get him. I'm just like, God, ah, let this end because I don't, nothing <laughs> is entertaining. Nothing's entertaining yeah. about this. And, and, no. you know, when I'm watching a movie, And and especially when you already know what happened, and now it's been so long ago, like there's nothing historical. Like when you watch other movies that have historical events, maybe you're like, oh, that was so great, or this is how the nation was founded, or this, which, you know, that is just an example, but maybe that wasn't so great. But, but, you know, you're there's things you're watching from a historical standpoint. You're like, yeah, that's really cool because so and so did whatever, or the guy that invented windshield wipers, or the guy that found a McDonald's, you know, whatever it is. You're like, oh, this is a feel good or an interesting story. But this is like, yeah, I mean, that's. I these people were necessary it's important that they did intel and all that but i'm not engaging with it in that way to where i'm like yeah go get 'em, america
0: and the thing is i don't think either one of us uh knowing your opinions from real spoilers we're not necessarily people that are like we want this movie to preach a particular point of view whether hey th- you know this is just the cost of doing business and this is what governments have to do to keep people safe and or on the contrary well this is just evil and and which is more than likely probably close to where you and i would align up like oh that's not good but i don't necessarily need the movie to be preachy i need the movie to have a point
1: right that's what, I, that's what i'm saying there this is movie no, has no point yeah there was no it's just kind of like look it took a lot of very smart skilled and dedicated people to get intel that eventually won the day that got them to what we would call a victory what we were setting out to do so it's like yeah these are kind of like factual events. even though if you look into it a lot of things were not factual in the Correct. film of Correct. how they happened but but they're trying to feed you these things like they're fact and so it's just yeah i
0: don't we're, I don't really we're get getting it. this dramatization recreation of the a decade-long pursuit of osama bin laden and there's no particular point of it other than this is kind of how it happened, maybe. And right. what, what, what is my, and the other thing is, okay, am I to believe that the only reason why that this is, if I take this movie at face value, the only reason we caught Osama bin Laden is because there was one completely, totally degenerately obsessive agent who just disavowed any and all common sense and just kept pursuing a wild lead for a decade that just as likely could have been wrong. Like, and so what? What is the point of that? Because at the very least, like sometimes what you can do is when you're tackling big ideas or, 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 or international stuff, you can ground it in your protagonist, right? Your protagonist almost becomes a metaphor for, and their emotional state becomes a metaphor for the world that's around them. And so if if you could have used Chastain as or her character as, this is the obsessive lengths that the bloodlust of the US government went to, or this is the obsessive lengths for justice that the US military went to, or the CIA or whatever. And and this is what it takes. You have to have a blind pursuit of justice or just blind pursuit of these empty symbolic victories. Either way. You know, positive or negative, and then that's grounded in her character, and her character essentially exemplifies America, for lack of a better term, then that's something. I don't feel like that is the case in this movie. She's just a person who obsesses over this stuff. Some people die around her. Some people live. Some people quit their jobs. Some people get in her way. Some people believe in her. It eventually kind of comes together in a clandestine way. The SEAL Team Six goes in to this house. They kill the guy, and nothing changes.
1: Yeah, so, you're right. Looking back, who, who cares? knowing what happens for 10 years, it's kind of like it, it really does show it as more of a symbolic victory. Yeah. And at the time, it felt like, oh, this is really important important for the morale of the country. And it's been so long. We need some kind of a win. Yes. And so at the time, it's like, oh, we got it. There's something you could point to. But now in hindsight, it's like, I mean, you just said it. You explained it perfectly. It, it just doesn't have that same impact anymore. And it's not as good as we remember
0: it. No, and not to get real dark with this, but it just has to be addressed because the movie's kind of dark and the subject matter is kind of dark. The reality is, is in the subsequent years, whether it's because of these actions or not, I don't know, as a, just a normal citizen, but in the subsequent years since 9-11 and the 20 plus years since that event, we have not had another foreign terror attack of that scale. The terror attacks that we've had that have led to mass casualties have been self-inflicted because of gun violence or you could argue covid because hmm. we had a 911 every day for how many months go for 2 years where 3000 Americans died every single day and all of us were numbed out to it within months and now having lived through all of that and a re- and multiple recessions and now hyperinflation this feels even more meaningless because <laughs> we killed a guy who was responsible for yes, a horrific event. That wasn't the end of horrific things that happened in America. Arguably even more horrific things have happened at our own hand against each other. Hmm. I mean we're so terrorizing each other at this point. So yeah. what, what 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 difference does it make? We we if you really want to get it, we were terrorized by our own president for how many years? <laughs> so what what you know this this feels we're just in this moment where it doesn't feel like rah rah america because we've had since 2012 we've had a decade of seeing basically the worst of each other and the worst of our country
1: yeah i think
0: so i don't want a rah rah i'm like nah this country needs some emergency help yesterday yeah well
1: <laughs> we're I in mean, trouble <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day I think that's that's exactly where I'm landing where it it, it there was nothing really to root for here because we know nothing really changed. I, I don't want to say nothing cuz I don't want to dismiss everything, but in the big picture in yes. hindsight there weren't a lot of changes that came from this and so it was a response. It wasn't pr- proactive or really preventative. It was a response and so that didn't bring anybody back and no. you could definitely argue that that it could have stopped some things, but also it's like, well, then the next guy just takes over and does awful things. So, you know, what what did this one event really change in the big picture is I think what you're in hindsight, you have 10 yes. years of knowledge about. So, I again, I want to pay respect to I do appreciate the people in intelligence. I appreciate all the hard work and long hours and away from their family and being overseas and people in the military,
0: risking their life and so putting putting their life on on the line.
1: All those things are important and necessary. So I'm not saying that I don't appreciate that. And I certainly do because it's something I could not do.
0: But even the common sentiment though, Kevin, even from people, many of people who served during this conflict or this war, they even feel and have publicly stated this was pointless
1: right so but but just so that we get it on the record it's like i I really do appreciate all these people and what they do and this did have meaning but it's not something i want to watch a movie about it's just not you know it's i'm glad that they're out there doing it i do appreciate them but i don't need a movie and i'm certainly not entertained by it it's just
0: the movie doesn't interrogate no pun intended its own ideas Mm -hmm. and that's its biggest problem in retrospect is that if it, if it was just absolute propaganda, yeah, America, aren't we the best? America, fuck yeah. At least that's something we could engage with 10 years later and really critique and say, oh boy, that's you know nationalistic, jingoistic propaganda and break that down. Or if it was a real serious critique of, yeah, this was accomplished and maybe that's a good thing, but at what cost? What, right. what did this the cost question. the conscience of America or the moral framework of America or whatever, but it doesn't, it doesn't. I it, wish it, they would have
1: put some stats up on the screen of how yes. many people died at Gitmo or something, you know, how, how did we yeah. get this Intel or part of the Intel? You know, that's exactly right. It doesn't, it doesn't ask the hard questions it's not actually asking anything and that's where ultimate at the end of the day again it's like yeah i'm appreciative of these people but it didn't challenge you to really think and they didn't no. really question what they were doing they showed and think, it happening
0: yeah and i think when you combine that with getting basic things like language and culture wrong about the indigenous people in these countries what you end up with is a movie that seems very insensitive it's is not even the right term but very almost out of touch it's like you're portraying these people as torture victims providing no commentary <laughs> right. whatsoever so is this just torture porn because you're not necessarily in favor of it but you're also not condemning it so we're just watching people be condemned and they're not even speaking the correct language they should be it, yeah, it, you, it, it feels indifferent wanna... towards the people who are we actually being impacted by our military operations
1: yeah, I think there are other movies that have something to say that handle this subject matter better. Yes. Like, have you seen The Card Counter?
0: No, I haven't. Nope. Okay. I've heard that's of it, Paul, but I haven't seen it yet. Paul
1: Schrader movie from yeah. last year. And it's not, I mean, I don't I don't know if that's a spoiler, because it's kind of a reveal in the movie. Um, I mean, you know there's something messed up, but you also don't really know what this guy's deal is, and we see yeah. some flashbacks, but I'll just, you know, without saying too much about it, it has an opinion and it actually questions things that happen and how they happened a little bit. And so I think that when you see a movie like that that actually addresses some of these things... And it's not just about that, though. So you're actually going to get a movie about a guy that is going to casinos, drifting around, and you're asking, like, why? What's this dude's deal? And We uncover things from the past, which I've already kind of spoiled if you connect the dots. But it has an opinion, right? And so I appreciate a movie that asks the questions, just like you said. And so now I think since I've seen other movies that have opinions on how things were handled, watching a movie that doesn't, you're right, leaves you feeling empty. So that's pretty much where I landed on this one and yeah
0: it was not as uh it did not leave me
1: feeling the same way
0: I did 10 years ago I gave this one a 7.75 but even in talking about it I think I'd probably grade it lower after talking to you about it <laughs> but it's my number four it's not the worst of the week uh, <laughs> but it's okay it's it's down there yeah it's down okay there.
1: well I think you know maybe I'm a little bit more generous than you but I gave it a seven. 7- I don't know. I guess I can't really say it about this one, but I give this one a 7.0. Okay. And it is my number five.
0: It is the worst of the week for you. Wow. And,
1: and this is a solid a pretty solid list. I told you when you threw me out this list, I'm like, when I even said, I like all these movies. Yeah, and right. I guess right. maybe I would st- I guess I I guess maybe I would still say that. You know, it's kind of hard because like the discussion we just had. Because I'm not saying this movie is a zero. I'm not saying that I hate the movie. It just leaves me feeling empty and I would not seek it out. You know what I mean? So I guess I still think it's there are things that are well done. I guess the
0: strongest suit of the movie, we didn't really touch on it, is is Catherine Bigelow's direction. That's the strongest thing of the movie. So that's where that 7.75 is. But I think on a script level, on a writing level, unfortunately on a performance level from Jessica Chastain, now that we've seen her do much better work, I didn't believe her performance at all in this movie, but um, did you believe they were over there? Because to me, it
1: felt very real, and that's what—that's why I think at the time, especially, it was like, yeah. "Wow, this movie's so good" because it really did feel like you know. And I don't know how much of it was on location, if any, but to me, they were there in it. And it felt like that way, the whole movie, and you're right, that's what yeah. a skilled director and, and all the other folks uh, on the, you know, on the team, there creating that movie magic, you know, it really is solid for production value. And I, yes. I do think that's where a lot Agreed. of that score comes from.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I'm right there with you. It all, it all goes to te- those, all of my 7.75 points are for okay. technical points and none of them are for story or characterization.
1: And Gandalfini's so. in this movie. We didn't even mention there's, there's a long list of actors in this movie.
0: There really is, and all the performances are good. I think, except for Jessica Chastain's. So, well,
1: <laughs> I, I, I do think she's good, but I used to think she was great in it. And that's where I think the difference is: is that we know what she's capable of. Like you said, I mean, I don't mean to keep parroting, but i thought when i saw this movie i'm like she is great and yes, now i'm watching it i'm like sh- i'm like she's good but maybe not as good as we said at the time and and that's where the confusion is right because when you see someone that you think of so highly and you know they're capable of more it's hard to you know well we've seen, seen her to uh, potentially
0: we've seen her grow as an actress and so now we go back and we go oh whoa that wasn't as good as i thought because we've seen her do much better work subsequently yep, exactly so, yep all right well it's time to move on to a controversial figure this man filled a bunker with lead-based paints to try to give me mesothelioma and he succeeded but now i'm in mesothelioma re- re- remission of course i'm talking about the controversial pariah known as ryan johnson we're going <laughs> to talk about looper which currently has a 93 percent on rotten tomatoes time travel has not yet been invented Thirty years from now,
1: it will have been. You're a looper? It's not standing to your eyes.
0: Looper was directed by the scourge of human existence, Ryan Johnson. It was also written by one of the greatest turds in cinematic history, Ryan Johnson, a man who hates joy and doesn't fundamentally understand one of the greatest uh, motion picture IPs of all time. It's the triumph return of Bruce Willis, last seen in Split. It's the triumph return of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, last seen in Inception. It's the triumph return of Emily Blunt, last seen on an Emily Blunt retrospective, retrospective, retrospective we did, Go back and check that one out. Trevor return of Jeff Daniels last seen in 101 Dalmatians. It was released September 16th, 2012 at TIFF, which for those that do not know is the Toronto international film festival, September 28th, 2012 in the United States on a budget of $30 million. This movie would go straight to streaming in 2022. It had a box office of 176.5 million. My one sentence plot synopsis is can a mother's love stop the rain? Okay. <laughs>
1: I, I got an alternate title for you. Go ahead, and I well my zero dark thirty was twelve thirty a.m. Okay, <laughs> uh, and this one is Blunder Blast from the Past.
0: <laughs> That's very good. Okay, straight off the rip. Some of the camera sensibilities of this movie, in particular, some of the humor around the the speeder or motorcycle deal. Very reminiscent of Back to the Future 2. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a time travel aspect. There's actual shots in this movie that are recreations of Back to the Future 2, the way the, way the camera moves. I only know that because yeah. I've obsessively watched Back to the Future 2. <laughs> I We're love dealing it. with that's,
1: the, that's That's my favorite. <laughs> yes. I think it's the first the best, one is the best. That's my favorite. All right. See, yeah. that's what yeah. I'm saying. The idea of, I always love... I mean, I'm not saying they always do it great, but in my mind, I love the idea of what does the future look like. Yeah. Because you have to be so creative and inventive to say, "Oh, and you know, in 20 years or in 30 years, this is what things are going to be." And you yeah. invent all these things, and sometimes yeah. you get it eerily right, and then you question, "Did the people inventing things and making things watch that movie as a kid? Were they and inspired? Take right? Or did it just go that way, and they you were? You got uh, it." no Nostradamus about it and You're so right. I anyway I love that uh, dissecting that and I love the inventiveness that comes with it so yes my favorite the first one's the best but love it
0: same I'm, I'm right there with you it deals with issues of fate this film just like the first Terminator so there's obviously a Terminator influence here there's a definite anime influence in particular I pick up Akira there is a gangster movie oh, yeah. influence here with Goodfellas, with a narration of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt basically says, as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Like, it has that exact same sensibility. <laughs> as long as, as we- I
1: can remember, I always wanted to be a looper.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that, Yeah, you're exactly right. It's a little bit of a Western. It is a little bit of everything, but at the same time, the amalgamation comes together to create something I think very original and very unique. You see the homages, you see the influences and the inspirations, but this feels like a distinct world and a distinct story and plot line and characters from anything else that we've seen. This is my biggest surprise because this is another one I loved it when I saw it in theaters. I own it on physical and streaming. And I thought for sure. I'm going to go back and revisit this. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. It's going to be kind of middling and probably fall behind Zero Dark Thirty and, and some other films on our list. And I thought this movie now, 10 years later, is so fresh still. I think it's inventive. I think it's the sort of movie we don't get enough of anymore. We were barely getting it 10 years ago. We, again, it would go straight to streaming if it was made now. I think it's original. I think it's clever. I think it's expertly directed. I think you're getting fantastic performances from Jeff Daniels in particular. I think it's incredible in this movie. I think Bruce Willis. He's a great villain. I think Bruce Willis is fantastic. I think Emily Blunt is great in this. I forgot she was even in this. I think she is great. I don't, there's. Same here. Barely anything Emily Blunt can't do. What I love about it is it's this movie is about the future but it's actually about the future of the future and Mm -hmm. it's so fucking clever because he shows us the near future and that near future seems now that especially now we're 10 years closer to it it actually seems fairly plausible the extreme Mm -hmm. income inequality the hyperinflation the the mixture of old technologies and new technologies and the fact that, it's, you know, it just, it, it feels more of like what our future is becoming, unfortunately. But the future of the future, the Bruce Willis part of the timeline, we see very, very little of it. I think that is so smart because he never has to deal with the consequences of, well, did he get it right or did he not get it right? Because we never really see that world, right? We never fully see it. Um, I think this movie is great because I think it's got a good kid performance, which is very rare. I think the little boy who's in this is, is really solid. I think the the movie changes genres about halfway through and it goes from being a gangster movie to being much more of like a science fiction, almost X-Men like superhero kind of villain origin story. I think our elite. Go ahead. Very
1: much it very much feels like a superhero movie where at the time I didn't get that take. Yes. But watching exactly. it now, I'm like, yeah, this is like you said, this is someone that could be either an X-Men or an X-Men villain.
0: Yes. Yeah. This is, this is a mutant, right? He's either going to be an X-Men or he's going to be part of the brotherhood of evil mutants. Right. Right. I, I think what's so great about this movie too, is that at least for me, I feel my allegiances changing as the movie unfolds. I go from really kind of being on the side of Bruce Willis because JGL's version of the character is just kind of an unlikable prick. And, you, and at the same time, you do kind of feel sympathy for him because he's in love with, you know, Piper Parabou who, who doesn't give a, I think it's Piper Parabu, uh, who doesn't give a shit about him. Um, you know, he, he's, he's mi- completely misunderstood this financial transaction relationship with everybody around him with jeff daniels with his friends with everybody and he's so short-sighted he's just a fool and you go from being feeling sorry for him to really not liking him um to then really having a lot of sympathy for the bruce willis character and that version of him in the future and then the thing that links to which we see willis go uh, uh, of the future version of this character you go, oh my God, like, oof, like you, you, by the end of it, you are on the younger version side. At least I feel like I am. Uh, but I, but at the same time, I completely understand where the older version is coming from. And so it's, it's, you're left with this, like, Oh fuck, kind of, (laughs) kind of kind of a feeling. And the movie doesn't completely sew itself up. We don't actually know if these events completely prevented the rainmaker from coming into existence. We don't, we, we kind of have hope at the end, but we're not really sure because has anything changed? Maybe it's changed. Maybe this was the cause of it. We don't know that. there's just that tinge of ambiguity. I think is genius. Paul Dano, the the writing oh, yeah. about what they do with Paul Dano's character and the future version of Paul Dano and how they affect, I thought, I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks in 2012. It hit me like a ton of bricks again. I was like, holy shit. This is some grim, grim stuff. And I'm just going to say it, I was I I I think this is Ryan Johnson. So far, I actually think this is is his definitive work. I think this is the best thing he's ever done. I really like Knives Out. Uh Brick was okay to me. I got to it, I think too late. I think so far of the work the work that he's done so far, i think this is now the sleeper in his filmography but i think it's his definitive work i think this is his strongest writing i think it's some of his strongest direction i think he is this is fantastic stuff from him so
1: wow well that is a glowing review i (laughs) i think you've said everything perfectly i will tell you i love (laughs) this movie i always have i was this was the most one of the most excited probably the most excited i was for a movie on this list yeah and it paid off it, it i didn't have regrets i wasn't i mean the previous two movies we talked about we both said we changed our opinions on them and this movie was so original and inventive uh, you had the the great prosthetics by Kazuhiro, who is uh, he's been getting a lot of attention lately because of Maestro, that Bradley Cooper movie. That's oh wow,
0: Netflix. yeah, that's him.
1: And so wow. you know how when every you know when everyone is saying like, oh my god, look how incredible Bradley Cooper looks, and I tweeted about it. That is what you call unrecognizable. When yeah, Leonardo right. DiCaprio parts his hair a different way. He's not unrecognizable. <laughs> But Bradley yeah. Cooper in that film is, from what we've seen, and so this is the guy. He's a two-time Oscar winner, most recently won for Bombshell, where you know oh, Charlize wow. Theron had yeah. that transformation. Yeah. So this guy's incredible. So I will say, I had these, I had these problems with it. I call them problems. It doesn't ruin the movie at all. It didn't then. It doesn't now. But I think the makeup is inconsistent, and that's my yes, biggest it is. gripe yes. with the movie. Yes, I think sometimes the makeup is so subtle, and JGL looks so much like a young Bruce Willis, just in that bone yes. structure and the yes. way they make him look. And then in other scenes, it stands out so much. I would agree. It it gets borderline almost ridiculous how much makeup yeah. is on him. And so, I think when the makeup is good it's great you and honestly I you think, barely
0: notice it it becomes immersive yes. and you don't notice it and then it gets to like you said uncanny valley territory it's
1: just too much right and, and it's still yeah. good makeup but it's too much it, it takes you out of it because it's distracting you know it's still leaps and bounds above some other things we've seen in film over the years so that you know this guy is great at what he does no doubt but it's just the inconsistencies where sometimes it's perfect and sometimes it stands out too much and you're like whoa that guy looks nothing like jgl and also nothing like a young bruce willis like it's just (laughs) too (laughs) accentuated so i will say that was like my main negative but anyway this guy is a master himself of of makeup i think maestro is going to give him a ton of attention and very possibly could be a third oscar win for him so it has that going for it but you're right the the sci-fi stuff in it i love that it's like the not too distant future and they have things like these hover cycles that are they're sci-fi but they're almost believable because they're still in this world that's very much reminiscent of our own Uh, The telekinesis thing, obviously, you get the kind of a superpower touch, but it's also not people flying and smashing buildings with their fists and all that type of i stuff. love just, isn't
0: that so clever though where he's like well we end up yeah we end up having mutants the tks but all any of them can do is like mostly just like they're just a bunch up, of assholes that can float a quarter float a quarter like <laughs> yeah i i do i yeah. think it's brilliant where it's like yeah he
1: gave people superpowers in the future mutants and they can yeah they can do parlor tricks that's like, it
0: and you know honestly and could you imagine that happening now now that we've oh lived gosh. through all the shit we've lived through the last 10 years could you imagine? imagine a world where it's like well some of us are mutants now and and what can you do with your mutant abilities uh i can float small objects in my hand It'd be
1: a bunch <laughs> of bros at the
0: bar yes. trying to pick up women by
1: floating court it's exactly yes. what he says so it's it's a great commentary of how people would use their silly powers uh, yes and, and i but i i really like the world he set up but also the western the gunslingers the way that they have yes. you know the they the way that they have their guns and uh you know the the loopers they have their blunderbusses or like these big shotgun type weapons and they're but they're all futuristic looking but in a believable way they're not you know like jean-claude van damme futuristic weapons these are like believable <laughs> weapons and and still some of them are kind of old school like like resembling a something dirty harry would carry right like right. like his uh like those um the guys that work for Jeff Daniels, they're carrying guns that are more like a six shooter. And so yeah, I really like, like Blue call or them,
0: whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They call them the yeah. Gat
1: men and, and their yeah. Gats are these almost six shooter looking old school style weapons. And so they're more precise with their weapons than the blunt blunder buses and I just like that the the, the world that he's created with the gangs or ruling things, and the premise of this movie is that in the far future, they've invented time travel, it's super illegal, and so only the criminal organizations use it. And the way they use it is to cover up their murders. So they just send bodies back, and uh, the loopers, instead of them getting their hands dirty in the future, they actually send the person back for the past to kill, and it's genius. Yeah. It's genius because uh they've exploited time travel to commit murders that are untraceable because that person 30 years in the future is they're either not born yet or they're not the same age or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So yep. it's really a genius idea of how criminals would use time travel. We're always you thinking like, oh, we're gonna go back and study for our history exam or we're gonna go back and you know, we're gonna meet or see the president do whatever you know we're always thinking all these things yeah like we're going to stop in
0: people... inanimate nether verse particles exactly from invading right? but, the video store you work at and destroying the fabric here, of reality but no
1: exactly right yeah. just basic stuff but here he goes and says well how are criminals going to use time travel and so he explores a whole different uh you know a different perspective on yep. the sci-fi technology and i really like that uh that so you know the really the yeah
0: To your point, though, the the TKs, the time travel, every science fiction thing he shows us, he then, like, makes it as dumb and blunt as possible. Like, this is how society would actually use the technology. Time travel wouldn't be used to kill Hitler for the betterment of humankind. It'd be used by gangsters to get rid of bodies. It'd be like, you know, gangsters used to to dump bodies in the Florida Everglades. That's what time travel is. The past is the the Florida Everglades of the future. We're just going to dump mm-hmm. bodies into the past. Uh, yeah, you're going to have jet bikes. They're not going to work half the time. Uh, you're going to have, <laughs> I love you know it. what I mean? Yeah, you're, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you're going to have telekinetic powers. Uh, they're going to be worthless. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it's like everything he does, that's that part of that thematic thing that he's worked through, which is like, I'm going to show you this brave like very fully realized world, this future, but it's all kind of mundane at the end of the day. And that's what gives it another sense of, there's a sense of humor to that, uh, but there's also a sense of believability to that because that's how stuff actually is. If look at, smartphones to us are, the ones in our pockets right now are completely mundane to us. If you took that same technology and took it back even to the 2007 with the first iPhone, it would blow us away if you took right. it 30 years into the past we would think it was oh my god is this from your wizard yeah yeah is this from star trek is this science fiction right yeah. like it, it, we couldn't believe it we could not believe it but it's just once you get to those technologies in real life it just becomes mundane becomes a part of the mundanity of life and that's why i think that johnson understands and just embeds it very subtly into a script
1: Right, it's not glamorous. It's that yeah. kind of bleak, realistic view that yeah. makes it ultimately more believable. And yeah, but also I, I, it's, it's not, not Blade drafting.
0: Runner. It's not right. so bleak that we go into noir territory where it's so it's not dystopian. There are dystopian elements because of the income inequality and we see people in the streets and so forth and so on. But it also it just it seems like a a real possibility of where the world could be in the not too distant future so genius stuff man
1: so jgl's given a great performance i think he's doing a really really good young willis impersonation with his body language his mannerisms everything i I think he studied willis and did a really good job willis is firing on all cylinders which made me miss the old bruce willis and i'm not saying you know health stuff aside and all that is very sad but i mean he showed up for this movie and it reminds you that he was the guy and seeing him in a role like this was really great to see Emily Blunt, Paul Dano, all the sporting players, Jeff Daniels, amazing performances. They're all really good, but yeah, the movie is exciting. It's interesting. It deals with time travel and science fiction, but it doesn't get too bogged down in it. Uh, If you start questioning things too much, it actually kind of unravels. So I like that it doesn't try to get too, you know, push your glasses up and, and science techie with all the explanation, all that. He just says, this is how it works. They got time travel they use it this way. You know, you've got 30 years and you live out your life. Like he's very matter of fact with it all. And yeah. so even though I don't think that, the film plays by its own rules of time travel and all that. I think the fact that it still works despite that is just more of a glowing endorsement of it because he's created such an engaging world and, and characters that you care about. And like you said, the fact that they change your allegiance changes between young Bruce Willis and old Bruce Willis, and you understand both their motivations, but, at what cost, right? What yep, what are you willing yep. to do to achieve your goal? And it's the whole, I mean, they touch upon that in other movies, even more recently, the new Doctor Strange movie with Scarlet Witch, and what are you willing to do? And it, you know, it's it's really interesting to see, like, yeah, you get why someone would be mad and they want to save someone, but you know, if you're going around killing people to save someone, well, that doesn't quite check out. And and I really do love that shift and what at the end of the day Joseph Gordon Levitt's character, he he has this character arc, which he grows so much throughout the course of the film. And like you said, he's kind of a jerk, but then you're like, oh wow, he's actually learning things and he's changing his ways and, and willing to sacrifice for the greater good. So you get a full character arc that you're on board with and it's a it's just an exciting, fun movie to watch. And yeah, I absolutely loved it.
0: Do you know the irony of the ending is is that by JGL doing what he does, he does end up saving. Alice's wife.
1: Well, right. And that's what he, I mean, ultimately, without any of them having to die, he suggests the same way to do that. It's the fact that he never meets her, saves her. Yes. So now you've lost, I guess you can't say two people. It's really the same person, but he you end up he loses his entire life ahead of him because his stubborn ass that he was that stubborn person that grew into that same stubborn person could not learn what the young jgl eventually learns by reflecting on his future actions that you know he he could have saved himself and her but he but he was selfish and wanted to be with her and lost sight of what the actual goal is which was saving her so yes you know he had to sacrifice the whole rest of his life and neither of them which again they're the same person so he does not get to experience all the other things that life had to offer um, but he saves her and he also saves a lot of people at the same time yes. too so his sacrifice does a lot of greater good in the end it's just a shame that the JGL that has learned and grown doesn't get to then reap the benefits or you know personally experience what he had done
0: looking for even more unique and creative movie content become a patron choose between three levels and you'll get benefits like a personalized membership card exclusive shows early instant reactions to new releases episode voting power live streams and more join today patreon.com slash binge movies yeah, and I think even the the older version of him that Willis plays, there is a growth there because we see what his life was in the decades that he lived and the misery that he lived and how his plans to go to France didn't really pan out and he goes over to China, I think, instead, and then, you know, gets back gets into drugs heavy, blows his money, um, you know, gets back into crime, just very brutal crime. Uh, and then the, we see when he meets this woman and then her rehabbing him and him kind of learning to enjoy life and be a decent human being and then taking her away from him, what that turns him into. And, and yet there's still that decency in him because especially with that he when we see him go after those children, he's really struggling to do it.
1: Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. And that's what I think is so interesting about these time travel movies is that see old old joe bruce willis is young joe who is a jerk that we see before before he is convinced by the actions of old joe and emily blunt's character and meeting them and all that i mean that is him that is the path that he was going to go on and so obviously he had it in him to change it just took seeing certain things so like that's the that's the tragedy of it all is yes joe, there is a good joe in there that's and that's my point the, the old one finds it too late because too late. he had he had 30 years and it took him like 29 years to find that yes. good joe yep. and our good joe knowing all that stuff without having to experience 30 years or 29 years of being crappy he got to see that and make that decision earlier and change. So yeah, it's, it's in there and that's all the more tragic because you know, there was a good person in
0: there. Yeah. The issue here is it's a mother wound, right? People talk about father wounds and mother wounds. This is a mother wound. that This guy has having been dumped, having been orphaned Mm -hmm. by his mother, who was having a drugs and who just, you know, whatever. Right. So seeing the love of a mother, whether it be, in a relationship with a woman who eventually loves him despite himself in the future, or whether in this alternate timeline kind of a path that he ends up on because of the closing of a loop situation with Emily Blunt, a scene and experiencing the love of a mother in some capacity is the th- thing that needs to happen for enough of him to experience healing to change his ways. And to your point, had old Joe experienced that earlier in his life maybe none of this would have happened
1: right it would have unlocked that thing that yes that we see young joe experience much earlier but much unfortunately,
0: earlier and yeah. prevented the creation potentially of the rainmaker right because we're dealing with this like causality loop again so yeah so i mean we could kind of talk ourselves in circles about the movie which is also part of its genius because there is a lot to think about the movie doesn't over-complicate, overcomplicate itself too much. I mean, there is, of course, the famous, or in some circles, infamous scene where he's like, "Look, I'm not a science guy. Uh, uh, it all just gives you a fucking headache. I don't have time to explain this to you." But blah, that's blah, blah, that's blah. what
1: that's yeah. the genius of it. Because if yes. you try to get into it, like you're right, we could really talk in circles. Like the the whole thing doesn't really make sense at the end of the day when I talk about rules. Because if Old Joe doesn't go back in time yet. To kill the Rainmaker's mom, then the Rainmaker doesn't become the Rainmaker, like it, and then he doesn't invent all this, like send back the mob bosses and all that, like because the Rainmaker's running things in the future, like it. It doesn't all really check out on a logical. Well, I scale. no see.
0: I interpreted the Rainmaker didn't invent the time travel; wasn't using it. That was already in existence. And then what happened was the Rainmaker took over and started eliminating all the other mob bosses and then started eliminating the loopers in the future. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I thought he was somebody who he came along later when this shit was already happening. But yeah, if he doesn't go back and try to kill him when he's a boy and accidentally only scarring him and turning him into this villain, but killing his right. mother on accident, then the rainmaker never kills his wife so therefore, because he doesn't exist, and so therefore Willis never is sent back to to have his loop closed. To, right, he creates right. the it's, rainmaker, and yes.
1: in, in what we see, Joe. Yeah, what what seems so profound and what's true with what we're watching is he's about to create the rainmaker, but if that's just happening now, it would. Where was the rainmaker before all this happened? You know what I mean? It's well, that's just,
0: see, but that's that's my point though, where. The movie does not put a fine point on, well, since he did the sacrifice, everything's going to be okay. It's left ambiguous whether or not it's going to be okay or not, because you're left with, was this fate? Did we actually get a happy ending, or was this how his loop always ends? you see what i'm saying true no you're
1: right so that is what i love about it is time travel movies that the ones that are done well and they're smart enough create these discussions where you can argue one way or another yes and you're never going to know if the top's going to stop spinning or not but that's the fun of it is that you've created such a story in a world that's engaging enough to where you want to have these discussions and it's fun to argue about i say argue discuss and yeah go back and forth and debate so yeah it it i really like it i think that it's it's really, really good. It holds up uh, just as well as it did back then. It, it's it's a really fun movie to revisit.
0: I, I think you're 100% right. I think the movie is so effective that even if you don't want to engage in all of the brain teaser mm-hmm. causality shit of the movie, you don't have to. You can just enjoy it as a science fiction action Western film. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's got good humor. I think it's shocking and gory. I think it's a mixture of a million different genres. I think it's a good gangster movie. I think it's a good Western. I think it's a good superhero origin story or villain origin story, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I, It's a good time travel movie. There's so much to love about this movie and
1: it's original It feels and it's original, original. watching it was, this makes me yeah. long for movies yes. like this i'm not saying we never get them i mean we just got everything everywhere all at once which i think is incredible and yep. original and and so we do get them but we don't get them as frequently as i'd like to see because now we're in this constant loop of of ips and reboots and sequels and requels and all that stuff uh you know and, and there's a handful of good ones i'm not saying that they're all bad but the people funding movies are so preoccupied with these legacy things and, and the nostalgia making money is they're not making as many movies like Looper and like everything everywhere all at once. And so it really makes me appreciate this even more of how yes. you know, ten years ago Ryan Johnson made this incredibly original film with this vision that I'd love to see more of today
0: you're 100 right and by more of we don't mean looper 2 or a soft reboot of looper right. or a prequel of looper or a television series of, in the looper universe no more looper no more looper anything i don't want any more of this i give this thing an 8.9 out of 10 it's my number one of the week it's, i'm adding it to the shortlist uh I, th- I think this is the best movie i watched this week
1: well, Jason, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. I'm giving this a 9 out of 10, Wow! and it is my number one movie of the week.
0: Holy shit! I thought for sure it was going to be a different movie on this list. It's close, wow. but it's not. It's close. This surprised me. This truly surprised <laughs> me. The Looper surprised me of how well it held up and how mm-hmm. good it was on a revisit and i've seen it since it wasn't one of those ones where i only watched once and i was done right sure uh, i watched it not that long ago uh, it's been a few years but not same area yeah. but i was like holy mo- holy macaroni <laughs> this is still really good um but i thought for sure there was another one on this list that you were gonna be like well that's my number one because that's like your freaking wheelhouse buddy and why you're on this I episode did-
1: I did too. And it surprised me to where wow. this is. I think, and, and it really, I think, is that uh, duality of it works on the cerebral level. If you really want to get into it, it's fun to think about. It may have some plot holes you can poke in, but then maybe someone like Jason can come back and say, well, no, but was it fate? <laughs> is it that is it destiny? Whatever. Yeah, and then right. the whole conversation starts over again. Or do you want to watch a cool sci-fi movie with hover bikes and shotguns and, yeah. and six shooters and, and, you know, all this Pratt action falls, adventure torture romance. yeah <laughs> romance. oh my gosh The oh and, and talk about makeup we, i mean we only mentioned out the prosthetics on jgl but talk about noses getting chopped off and and all the blood and the gunshot wounds and stuff yeah. i mean this movie oh and let's one of my favorite things in the movie world practical effects yes so so refreshing to see some practical stuff not saying there was no cg but this movie was heavily makeup and practical effects and boy did it show and uh yes
0: yep i'm right there with you we can't stop gushing about it so a movie that was a great surprise upon a revisit to now a movie that is an utter conundrum Hmm. this is my first time watching this film and i i i have some thoughts but i don't know if they make any goddamn sense i'm talking about holy motors which currently has a 91% on rotten tomatoes holy motors was directed by kevin help me the fuck out what is this guy's name leos carax it was written by help me out kevin leos corrects yeah there we go okay i was like i "I already told you (laughs) it was it was the triumphant return of eva mendez not seen since the days of too fast too furious it was released the 23rd of may 2012 at the Cannes film festival the 4th of july 2012 usa usa (laughs) usa in france and it was released august 30th 2012 in germany on a budget of $4 million, had only made $4.2 million at the worldwide <laughs> box office. Here is my best stab at this. An identity-shifting man is limousine to nine disparate genre-bending lives.
1: Yeah, I, I simply called it anything you can do, I can do weirder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, now here is maybe a very perfunctory elementary reading of the text. I've seen this movie exactly once in preparation for this episode, so I have had no time to think about it whatsoever. I haven't had 10 years of reflection. We have a character, his name is Mr. Oscar, and he rides around in limousines where he is transformed from one role to another. And in some cases he's portraying a deformed person. In the others he's, he's portraying, uh, uh, uh more normal people for lack of a better term conventional conventionally appearing people when he is a deformed person he becomes repulsive by his appearance but people want to exploit that in particular to take photographs he steals a literal golden goddess and throws Mm -hmm. it over his shoulder and then things get real weird from there And it's very hard to say, well, here's what it's about. Because even the vignettes themselves change genre, tone, purpose, meaning. It just, honestly, this is like a, a, um, you ever seen the movie cube where the the people are put into that cube and it's constantly
1: VHS. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the cube. Every so many minutes is rotating around them. There are different traps and shit. And you got to go from one room to the next. That's what this movie is. Cinematically. (laughs) Just when you think you kind of understand what this guy might be going for, the whole thing fucking shifts around you, even within the same room, <laughs> even within the same vignette. Because what I would want to say is this movie is about fame. This movie is about celebrity. This movie is a, the links to which people will go to be rewarded for playing different roles in their life. And it's not just actors. It's not just celebrities. It's not just people in limousines, but it's all of us. All of us assume different roles, different identities, and different pockets of what we experience. We're one person at the breakfast table. We're another person on our commute. We're a different person at the workplace. We're another person at the bar with our buddies. We're another person in a podcast. We're another person in the bedroom. We're all these different people. And um, we transform ourselves from point A to point B. That's a very base, elementary, stupid reading of this movie. but. I wanted to spoil it for myself. So I looked up after I watched it. What the fuck does this movie mean? <laughs> and I wanted to get it from the guy himself. And this is what he says this movie means. He says, I spent so little time imagining the film. The whole thing only took two weeks. It was a race. <laughs> I didn't watch my dailies. I didn't read exactly what I was doing. I only went over at the editing table. Although I don't make films for anybody, I do make films. Therefore, I do make them for somebody. I make them for the dead. (laughs) Hmm. But then I show them to living people, and I start to think about that whole thing while I'm editing. Who will watch them? So I start to get more reflexive at the editing table. Why did I imagine this science fiction world? Well, I did invent a genre that doesn't exist, but I don't have any real answers. (laughs) That... (laughs)
1: yeah man that's even that paragraph doesn't make any sense i know here's the (laughs) thing i i think you can read this movie a lot of ways and that is why i love the art form of film i love that one movie can mean something so different to somebody else you could even tell me what this guy said it meant and i can tell you well that's not how i took it and it means something different to me right and that's a completely acceptable response That is the amazing thing of this art form. So it doesn't surprise me that that's what this movie was, because I think sometime, and this is an interesting commentary on film criticism and art and how we interpret things, is that someone can throw a bunch of crap together in a couple weeks, let's say and then someone can go, "Hmm, this is so smart. It's reflecting <laughs> on you know this and the inner, yeah. you know, spirit. You could just mumble, you can say all these big words <clears throat> yeah. and sound pretentious and smart and the person that made it could not even be thinking of those things and yes. you're giving them all this credit." But but on the other hand, they still created something that no one else did that's so unique and it got people to think of all those other things and interpret what he was doing. So It's not completely without merit either, right? It's 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 now. Can I call
0: bull? Can I call bullshit on one thing? Please, not you. Yeah. yeah. On this guy, sure. He's like, oh, I don't make movies for the living; I make it for the dead, and whatever, whatever. By all accounts, he's a strange gentleman. But
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Here's where I call bullshit. Okay. His wife, in real life, committed suicide right before they made this movie
1: right that's dedicated to her at the end
0: and there is this that almost replays itself verbatim in this film
1: well there's there's like four different father-daughter type relationships that appear in this film
0: yeah
1: right it's him you know it's him uh, I think it's him reflecting on that he's the parent, right? He now has to care for this child and yes. how are these different characters treating these different children at different ages? Again, that's my interpretation, but there's yes. a lot of that reflection happening in the movie.
0: So I think that there is, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think that there is somewhere in here, a, a, it's several iterations on certain themes basically. Things are on this guy's mind and each one of these vignettes, if that's what you want to call it is an iteration. It's, it's, you know, it's when if you ever go to a museum and you see a painter, what you'll notice is there's commonality almost in all their paintings, at least from a certain era where they right, got very much into a particular style a period where yeah, period. Stuff yes. Similar. Right. And the stuff is like, well, you know, how many bowls of fruit could one guy paint, you know, <laughs> and they're all, di- they're all, they're all different. They're all diverse. But you can find commonalities in them beyond sure. just stylistically. There's a, a thematic commonality. This guy's like when Monet reason, is
1: putting water lilies in all his paintings, bingo. you can tell it's a
0: Monet. Bingo. Now, you know, Salvador Dali had 60 different periods he went through and he did a billion different types of art, but you can go to the Dali Museum, which I've been to, and be like, there's wings where it's like, this is what he was doing at this time. And he was obsessed with angels during this period. And he was obsessed obsessed with Valkyries over here. And he's obsessed with Abraham Lincoln over here or whatever else. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think there are real ideas in here that aren't, aren't completely linear. I think there is a meaning here. I think it, I think, I think he's a bit of a provocateur. And I think even his interviews are a bit of showmanship. Sure. I think he is, if not performatively eccentric, he's genuinely eccentric, but I think he's intentionally, maybe there's something very raw for him at the core of this, based on his, this horrific experience he's lived in. And it's like, he, he doesn't really want to expound upon that for the, he would feel it would diminish the work, you know, Well, right. it, is, it, it is whatever it is it means to you. But there yeah. seems to be a very personal core here. It seems like he's he's really grappling with the film industry. He's grappling with his own fatherhood now, being a single parent. He's grappling with the death of his wife. He's, he's, he's grappling with a lot of autobiographical elements, and they're in here. Uh, but he doesn't yeah. he doesn't want to put his finger down on it and say, "Well, these are my unfettered subconscious." emotional feelings about these things well, he's i don't just know why not he, that type of filmmaker And that's no.
1: not what he does right he doesn't make it easy for the audience but i i I think the seeds are there that he's planting throughout the film like you said uh, there's also a really interesting thing going on in this period of his life other than the family issues but with filmmaking this was his first film in 10 years yes. so a lot has changed in 10 years right i mean at the time this is coming out you're talking about the leap from the early 2000s into the 2010s. And you're talking about a transition from film cameras to digital cameras. Yes. Motion capture,
0: which is in this movie.
1: There's a lot of motion capture. Uh, The industry is relying heavily on motion capture and CG, but he shows the most primal, visual of of that he shows the motion capture happening we do see one sequence where it shows what that becomes but for the most that's part it's const-
0: it's terrible right right
1: so it's like <laughs> it's more interesting to watch the people with the balls all over the costume yes. and everything than to watch a, a dragon lizard dragon fish woman. fucking yeah. each other yes right so yeah. but but it's really interesting to show the humanity in these things but at this time in his life he's coming back to make movies in a very different time period of of how things are done. And so I think a lot of this is self-reflection on his, you know, on his art form that he loves, which is cinema. The movie opens with him going into a cinema and the with people asleep though. Right. That's you're right. It is weird. But which is almost also, a
0: critique on filmmaking. Or or you or, could you interpret that way, or that movies are dreams.
1: Yes, or even more so, this movie is a movie that a lot of people will say is horrible, put them to sleep because it's so weird and nothing happens and there's no point to it. So is he showing you what he thinks the audience is going to think of this film? That it's just going to be another one of those, you know, either I fell asleep or I walked out because this movie's so bad. You know, this would be the F cinema score type movie. This is a movie general audiences, and I'm not trying to say, Oh, we're better and smarter, whatever, but we're giving this movie more of a chance than a lot of people would right and so i do think some of that is reflection he's saying now audiences in 2012 that want all this slick cg motion capture whatever stuff are going to be falling asleep at this movie so right at the beginning let me show you the audience and where we're at in in cinema and he talks about cameras right he says uh the main character says i i miss the time when cameras were bigger than our heads or whatever, however he says it. I know yeah, I'm butchering right, it, right. but I had to read it, right? I didn't hear it in English, so like I'm interpreting what I'd heard and all that. But he says right. like cameras now are so small, you can't even see them, right? And so it's yeah. a critique on, you know, I, in this movie, this this character is playing many different roles and so i know that it's not necessarily literal i don't think that there's people like streaming his exploits it's not that literal of an interpretation but he's putting on a performance that we're watching as the film goes on and so those cameras that you don't see are there that's how i how we're watching them i think so he's putting on a performance we're seeing it with these cameras that are non-existent or you can't see and it's a commentary on how things have changed in filmmaking so to me i thought a lot of this was a reflection on his career i also got the family stuff that you picked up on but also a lot of it does kind of feel weird for weird's sake yes so that's where i think the two weeks of coming up with this part makes sense to me because even though i think there is a lot there subconsciously going on And he obviously did put this very unique inventive thing together, but I do think that it's just kind of weird with no explanation for a lot of it. And that's the turnoff. Why it doesn't rank as high for me. I'm happy people are making films that are somewhat experimental, that are weird. I love movies that are weird as opposed to movies that are boring and the same. So, you know, credit to him, but also some of the stuff I'm like, I can't get a read on it. Like, I don't know what this means and I don't think he does either. Right. Like, I don't think he knew what some of it meant himself and it was just like well to your point of being a provocateur he's like yeah this is my brand I better like when this kid in the movie theater turns into a dog when they cut back to him what what is that saying do you think he knew or did he say that's weird (laughs) I couldn't get a read
0: on that well that's my point right because I have a benefit that audiences didn't have in 2012 which is I have seen Annette
1: And I I think Annette is a much more accessible film. I love Annette. I think it is a much more accessible
0: film. But he's also he it's another meditation on very similar themes that are in this movie. Sure. Right? As a single father, raising a daughter. It's about Mm. fame. They're both famous and how fame changes and celebrity and the arts and you know. So it's 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 almost sort of like a more coherent, and that's odd to say about Annette. But it's but almost a, a more structure to it. It's you a can, more coherent version of a lot of the ideas and themes that are in this movie.
1: Yes, you can follow, even though Annette's weird, and it's still a movie that general audiences are going to walk away from hating it or walking out if they saw it in the theater and said this is just too weird. But you're gonna you're gonna get more people on Annette than you are on Holy Motors, yes. without a doubt. Like the, it, Annette has a story you can follow, and it's weird, but you still follow what happens. And yes, it is it's it's crazy that this doll or this you know that Annette would become real and talk and all that stuff like yes. it's weird in that way but still if you follow it with like a family relationship it, it follows pretty uh yes beats that you can recognize in a story um you know and there's songs and like this movie you know it's like Annette picks up on that song that happens at the end of this movie and uh you could tell some similarities there yes uh You know, there's there's definitely a a similar style in that. So when I when I went back and watched this after seeing Annette, I'm like, oh, there it is. There's the musical he wanted to make. And he did a musical
0: bingo. So it's almost as if now 10 years later, having seen last year's Annette, it's almost like a cipher to go. Oh, this is kind of what was rumbling around in your head a decade before. And now you've now you're spitting it out again. But it's a little bit it's not done in two weeks you've had some time to think about it and you're still being weird for weird sake. Cause you're just kind of a weirdo, but it's less <laughs> weird. It's less weird for weird sake. Here's what it is. It's strange, but it's not illegible. And parts of this movie are illegible. The text is illegible. And right. does that make him a genius? Does it make him performative? Does it make, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to it. So that's why I really struggled with scoring and ranking this movie because is this the best movie on the list is this the worst movie on the list? <laughs> is it somewhere in the middle? You could probably make a case for any of those. So right. for me, I ended up again because the whole purpose of this episode is 2012 movies from the perspective of 22 2022 us uses the 2022 uses <laughs> <laughs> the bad robot uses looking back at it, and for me. I don't. I think if I hadn't seen Annette, I wouldn't know what the hell to make of this movie. I think that Annette really helped me, but also now I have something to directly compare it against. And so for that reason, I appreciate. I appreciate the ingenuity of the film. I appreciate the scope of the film. It's something that has a and relatively the performances. low performances. I the mean performances. Uh, it has an like, epic quality to it, even though it was only on four million dollar budget. I think that's pretty incredible filmmaking. Yeah. So, but
1: that that main actor, uh, I don't know if it's Denis Levant or Dennis Levant, he he is doing so much. I mean, he carries the film. The film is him. And- what's, what's
0: so interesting about that is in the same interview that Wire did back in 2012 yeah. with the director, they asked him, like, "Well, did you, you had worked with this guy previously. Like, did you cast him because you knew he was going to have to be able to carry the movie? And his response was actually, um, no, I didn't think he was a very good actor. It's just that in the 10 years since we had worked together, since I didn't make any movies, apparently he had gone off and become a good actor. But I didn't realize he was a good actor until we had, wrote, we had done several scenes. And I thought, well, maybe he could carry it off. And it was like, so oh, you cast somebody you, you thought was the shits? To, to yeah, be basically, see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any, I don't, yeah, I don't buy it. I, I think this I think,
0: guy gets off on fucking with people
1: i think he know he knows what he's doing is yes what I'm saying. and and what he's doing sometimes might be nonsense what he's doing might have a lot of meaning to him but either way he knows what he's doing yes by saying that he's just i would agree throwing things out there willy-nilly i do not believe that um i i believe that he is in control of these things that are happening is weird or silly whatever they may be yeah he's a he's a um I don't know if you'd say performance artist, but like you said, he it is some kind of on the cusp of performance art. Yes. Uh, uh, kid, this character he plays. Right. And, and he is weird. I'm not saying he's like a, he's not like Larry the Cable guy sounding like he's some professor <laughs> in real life and then putting on a Larry the Cable. I'm not saying it's like that big of a yes. shift, but I'm just saying that, like, there's the real guy that knows what he's doing. And then the guy that gives those kind of answers is yes. the character. And uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle
0: yes just like just like the lead in this movie is being characters and i think that's exactly who this i think this is an autobiographical film i think he is more or less the main guy that we see the bottom line for me on this movie is because i don't know what the hell to make of it and maybe i'm just maybe this is where i prove myself not to be an actual film critic i'm just a guy that loves movies i give this thing an eight out of ten I think it's remarkable what he accomplished on such a low budget with no time, but it's my number three for the week. It's somewhere in the middle for me because at certain points, it does feel weird for weird sake. It feels like at certain times he could say he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't buy it. I think that he does know what he's doing. I think he's intentionally trying to alienate his audience at certain times just for the sake of alienating us. And I would much rather rather, i would much rather revisit annette in the future than this movie per se now i will say you're the only person i've ever seen in the history of film twitter tweet about this movie so <laughs> i thought for sure this is going to be your number one where is it ranked for you and what's your score
1: well we're actually very close i this is a 7.8 for me okay and it's the number four of the week wow you're full of
0: surprises this time kevin
1: I, 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 again, I, I appreciate and respect this movie more than I rank it for just being some great movie because again, what's, what's the rewatch value to this? Did he know is some of it just again, weird for weird's sake, which I appreciate doing things that are unique and weird and all that but also if it's just weird for weird's sake and it doesn't have a reason or purpose to the story or you know i think it starts to kind of blur the line of okay are you really that creative or did you just throw that in there so again at 7.8 it's still these are a solid yes. list of movies yes. but you know i can't put it higher than some of the others because i i do think that some of it is just kind of superficial
0: yeah I would agree with you. Speaking of superficial, let's move on to a movie about male strippers, baby. Yeah, meat, meat, meat. <laughs> of course, we're talking about Magic Meat. I mean, Magic Mike, which currently has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. What are you guys planning on doing tonight? Why don't you come down and see the show? The law says you cannot touch. But I think I see a lot
1: of lawbreakers. And it goes like this. Can't a lot of ones. twenties.
0: You don't want to know what I have to do for twenties. <laughs> Magic Mike, rated R, in theaters June 29th. Magic Mike was directed by Steven Soderbergh. It was written by Reed Carolyn. It's a triumphant return of Olivia Munn, last seen in The Predator, which is now in the Anti-Volt. It It is the triumphant return of Kevin Nash. Big Daddy Cool, Big Sexy, Diesel. Last scene in John Wick. It was released June 24th, 2012 at the Los Angeles Film Festival, June 29th, 2012 in the U.S. Wide release a budget of $7 million. Listen to this, Kevin. Because I knew this at the time, but I forgot it. And then I looked at this. I thought, oh, yeah, that's why we got XXL. $7 $7 million. It made $167.2 Oof.
1: million. Hollywood likes those numbers.
0: Holy shit. Okay. The summer days and the bullshit life of a bullshit man who wants to be more. Maybe.
1: Hmm. Um. I called this one, where is it? Oh, 21 Hump Street. <laughs>
0: okay look we're revisiting this for those that don't know this is partially autobiographical for real it's partially based on Channing Tatum's life working as a Mm. male stripper in his young college age days in Tampa Florida which has I think the most second most strip clubs in America per capita Atlanta uh, uh, Atlanta I think has the most and uh, you don't know this from research you just you've heard i've spent a lot of time in tampa let's just put it like that um <laughs> this uh, okay i watched this movie i liked it back in the day i don't know if it was 2012 it could have been later than 2013 i saw it in home video i didn't see it in the theaters and i liked it and i in general like channing tatum and i'd like to see him actually more and if any the whole time i was watching this this is how uh, hollywood has rewired my brain and somebody may remind me and say well he was he was in such and I am absolutely stunned that nobody has gotten Channing Tatum to be in a Marvel movie.
1: Well, he's was supposed to be, you remember, right?
0: No. Who was he supposed to be?
1: Oh, he's supposed to gambit. He was writing and wanted to direct himself as gambit.
0: That's right.
1: With Fox and before uh, the Disney thing.
0: Ironically, I don't think he would be a good gambit. I don't think he's right for gambit. I know that's what he wants to do. I don't think he could do it. I, you know, I think he
1: loves the character enough to where he would put everything into it. And I think it, it could work. Uh, I thought casting wise, Taylor Kitsch was good casting for Gambit, but, you know, not in a good movie. So, Well,
0: we've covered Taylor Kitsch before and and the, the shit that guy's unfortunately had to go through in his career. Well, John Carter for life, baby. <laughs> okay.
1: You know where I stand on that.
0: I do. I, my idea of casting, I would put him in the DC stuff. Although that's all changing. I think he what would make he a Superman foot- in the DC stuff. Is he Lego? Oh, I don't watch that crap.
1: <laughs> I think that he would be, <laughs> you don't watch a- that crap. Wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> I th- Lego th- movies and Lego Batman are
0: great. movies. Lego Batman is terrible. Oh my I, God. I hated that movie. I oh. think that he'd make a great booster gold okay booster gold baby i want my booster okay. gold movie uh and joe's gonna listen to this and he's gonna disagree with me and that's fine <laughs> just tweet at me joe um okay having said all that revisiting this movie now it's another one of those ones where i was like oh time has changed my point of view on this movie and here's here's what i noticed this time around Because the movie was shot on such a small budget and such a small schedule, especially a really small budget given all the people who are in it, Matthew McConaughey and so many more folks, Jane Tatum and so forth and so on. Um, And the scope of it, the scale of it, et cetera. There's several scenes of the movie which seem extraordinarily condensed and truncated, which ends up leading to these logical plot jumps where, I, I always pray something that I call the economy of storytelling. I really like movies that tell their story very tightly. Mm-hmm. This movie's almost cut too tight. I give you an example. The sister shows up looking for the brother. They've all, they've been partying all night. They've got drunk. They got high. They do whatever. She shows up at Mike's house. Mike's like, ah, he's still upstairs sleeping. I'm sure he's fine. They find him in a pool of vomit. Hmm. Potentially not breathing. She freaks out. She grabs the girlfriend and says, What are you? What'd you do to my brother? What'd you give my brother? Girlfriend looks dead. Looks dead. No response. Doesn't move. Nothing. And looks dead. They never address that, that that the girlfriend is dead in the bed, potentially. She's not, but that she looks dead in the bed. And the brother is still on the floor laying in his vomit. (laughs) right and then they start arguing about you're a bad influence on my brother and this that whatever and and there's several times throughout the movie where that happens my point is in a movie with a bigger budget and a longer shooting schedule you'd have two or three scenes to accomplish the same task Mm. but instead because they only had so much time and only so much money they're doing the work of two or three scenes in one scene even when it doesn't make logical sense where the character wouldn't be at that emotional point in that moment to follow up. When the sister gets him in the car, she's like, I can't live like this anymore or whatever. Like this is with the last straw up to that point in the movie, we've not seen this guy pull any other shenanigans that would lead her to the point of kicking him out of the house. But we got to get there in the story. So she's literally just found the guy almost dead. He's in the back of the car he's not going to a hospital because they can't film in a hospital because they don't have money for it. And she's now like, I'm done with this. When the whole point of this whole thing was, you know, that she's in this weird codependent relationship with her brother. And then by the time Mike shows up at her house again, she's like, well, I don't even know where he is. But well, that's why she was freaking out in the first place because she was losing track of him and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's, it's not that it's, those are wrong moments. It's that because they have such a finite time and budget, we're missing scenes, essentially.
1: Yeah, you know? I can see that. I didn't ever think about it that way, but you're right. It's very condensed.
0: Yeah, it's almost too tight. And it's like, okay, I, I know we're getting there, but we're getting there a little too quick. I know it's we have to hit two or three emotional beats in one scene instead of hitting two or three character emotional beats in two or three scenes, if that makes any sense. And then the whole thing, the whole thing is, the movie wants us to give a shit about Mike, and I think the movie wants us to see him get out of this bullshit life. Sure, and it wants us to say, "Yeah, we want we we're, we want Mike to make handmade mid-century furniture, right? <laughs> and to live his life and to be free of all of these, to be free of Matthew McConaughey, who's a shady promoter and all the mm-hmm. the, the, the the seedy parts of the Tampa nightlife." The problem is we know that they made XXL.
1: So even
0: at the end of this movie, we know he's going to come back and strip again. And I know Soderbergh didn't direct that movie and he didn't write that movie, but he was a cinematographer on that movie, which is very bizarre. (laughs) I think that maybe the only time the director has come back to be the cinematographer, many cinematographers directed sequels, Sure. very few directors of Soderbergh's caliber, or any director for that matter just goes down to being cinematographer for the next one and you know he only did that because he wanted to figure out a different lens for his iphone or some shit right
1: it's it's really hard because I. it takes the heart of
0: this movie out is my point
1: but when you brought up box office that's exactly what i was thinking this movie wraps up perfectly yes but hollywood it, when wb owns this and they to make 160 on a seven like there's no way it's not getting a sequel but that's not this movie or soderbergh's fault either that's you can pretend the sequel doesn't exist and you could never watch the sequel so i just don't know that it's fair to judge this movie that existed i've never a seen sequel. a sequel
0: kevin i've never seen it
1: and it's not as good as this one because it is
0: so i don't have a yeah i'm not tainted with well that one's not very good or not as good I just know it exists. Here's what I know. Here's what I cannot escape in my mind. Okay. 10 years later, I know that this guy strips again. Right. I know he goes back into this lifestyle for whatever reason, for whatever reason, even if it's not, he's going fully back into life, whatever, whatever, because I've never seen the movie, so I don't know, but I know it. And I know the entire purpose of this movie is to get me to want this guy to get his shit together and get out of this life. Right i know it doesn't happen so it took something away from this movie that i again it's just revisiting a decade later
1: i yeah i mean i again i get that and i understand it but it doesn't if you see the movie, it doesn't really undermine it. Again, the sequel's not as good. It's it's more of a cash grab. But in the sequel, he does start his furniture business. He does get out of stripping. He only goes back on the road with the guys as kind of a favor to them. And obviously an excuse to, that's what the movie's about. You have to get him to do it again. So it's not undermining it. He is out of it. But they rope him back into it. And he reluctantly agrees to go on this road trip with them and do it again. So you know, it's a it's a cop out, but it's also not a total. Well, he the whole point was that he got out of it like what, then he just does it anyway. Like, no, he doesn't just do it anyway. He still has his dreams. He has the furniture business. He got out of the life. But again, it's not the original movie's fault that that sequel happened. So I do think that we can look at it on its own and we're looking at 2012 movies. And you can say this movie exists and let's rate it for what it is. And then what the studio decides to do with it later, that's their business. I just don't think that it should be able to, I don't want to say that because I know that's your opinion, but I don't think that but it's in the to same way,
0: it- yeah. But in the same way that no time to die changes my view of skyfall in the same way that the last 10 years of geopolitics changes my view of zero dark 30 this movie is very loose okay as condensed as it is it's just we're just following day after day month after month of this guy's life it's just a very meandering kind of movie i don't mean it in a bad way it's just a very loose we're like living alongside this guy for the summer basically and he's got this goal that he wants to accomplish this amount of money that he wants to save and these things and and uh it's a very you know, I kept watching the movie this time, asking myself, what is the point of this? You know, what, 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 is, what, what are we trying to say here? What is the point? You know, everybody this guy meets is bullshit. Olivia Munn's bullshit because she's actually engaged. She's living this freaky double life, but she's living. And also that scene made no sense to me whatsoever, where he walks in and he's like kissing her in the cheek, like, hey, where you been? I've been trying to get in touch with you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, well, Mike, this is my fiancee and the fiance goes seems like you two got a lot to talk about i'm like if i'm sitting at an expensive restaurant and a fucking channing tatum walks in and goes kisses my future wife and goes hey baby i've been trying to get in touch with you where you been and then i see her clam up and start acting bizarre and going nudge 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 this is my fiance i'm not going hey let me excuse myself seems like you two gotta work (laughs) some shit out i'm going who the fuck is this who the fuck are you hey who is this person I'm going to freak out because obviously they're fucking. But again, it's a, it's, we, we got this location in Ebor down in Tampa for one night. So we got to shoot this shit and it's just, (laughs) I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But my, my point is with the tone, the tenor, the pacing, the stylistic choice that this movie made just kind of be like, Hey, we're just going to kind of float around to a series of events that happen in this guy's life and then somewhere along the way you're gonna start giving a shit about him because that's a reflection on his life where his life is just kind of he's here he's there he's over here he's over there um they they, they really the first half of this movie you could almost say that mike is almost a secondary character where it's really in a more conventional film it would be about how mike gets in and out of this lifestyle it would be like a boogie nights or a Goodfellas, and he would be like mm. the brother character, sleep on the couch, gets into. But he's not. We start off with that the the brother on the couch character, and a little bit of Mike, and then, and then eventually it shifts. That guy kind of ends up leaving the movie for a while, and then it shifts to being more in Mike's perspective. And so when we have these sort of changing protagonists, changing points of view, just sort of the meandering nature of his life, going from one thing to the next, to the highs and lows. ultimately to get us to care about this guy if not if we don't care about his relationship with the sister which i certainly don't we care about his relationship with himself and his sense of dignity and him wanting to be a real person and then not just being a put on to be a psychological excuse where i'm not hey you know i know i strip that's not really my lifestyle i'm really this thing over here she calls him out on that and we finally get there with him or we think we're going to get there with him the movie ends before we see him make good I know you're telling me the sequel doesn't take away from it, but I know that it exists. And in retrospect, 10 years later, I don't think the movie is as good as I remembered it being. When I see it's got a 79% of rotten tomatoes, uh, I know that that's an aggregate score and it's not a grade, but I can't really disagree with it. I think it's, uh, I think it's a decent movie to okay movie and I never need to see it again. Twice is okay. enough.
1: Interesting. Um, I, you know, I think I have a different view on the movie. I I think the meandering nature of it is effective in the storytelling because I think there's a lot relatable and uh, maybe not the male stripper part of it, but there's a lot with the character of Mike about wanting to be something more. And yes. you see different time periods in different characters' lives and when it's maybe okay to do one thing. But as you get older and you say, I can't do this for the rest of my life, what am I doing? And you're working, busting your ass off, you're working three different jobs, you're stripping at night, managing the books for different companies, you're doing all this work, and at the end of the day, people only see you as the stripper. People only see you as what they want to see you for, and not all these other things you are. Mike is so much more than a stripper. He's an entrepreneur. He does construction. He wants to open his own furniture business. Again, he's he's saving up all this money to do something more, but he's only seen as a hunk of meat. And it's a commentary on the industry and people that go and treat people like objects and again him trying to grow up and go out of it you see the kid and the kid is at a point in his life where he's got nothing else going on and maybe he doesn't need to right he's only 19 and he's trying to figure out his life but mike's older than that he's like 30 i think at this point and 37 so i
0: think they say he is you're a 37, oh, 37. You're a male stripper okay yeah
1: okay so i knew he's in his 30s so like at some point he's got to figure out what he's doing with his life because he can't do it forever. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of this that people can relate to in their lives of how things are cute when you're younger and things are okay. And thing you can let things slide for a while. Uh, but also when it talk, comes to relationships, whether it be business or personal, there are people that want more and Mike is someone that has fun partying, going out and drinking and the drug use, nothing too heavy, but you know, he's going on having a good time and he wants to hook up and do three ways and all this stuff. But the way I read it is even though, uh, you know, Olivia Munn's character, Is freaky and likes to do the three ways and all that stuff. She got engaged, right? She was still ready for the next thing. And Mike hadn't grown up as much as he convinced himself that he was, I want to get out of this and I'm gonna be a businessman. Well,
0: you see him like there's the scene between the two of them where he wants to take that relationship and get to know her as a person and not just as a, a fuck buddy. And she's not having it. She doesn't want to go there. She gets uncomfortable and just wants to leave because she's his, she's a boy toy to him. He's he's an object to her. She has a real life. Presumably, she's had this fiance the whole time. She has her degree. She's going to school. She this is just something she's doing on the side. On the see, down I didn't road.
1: read it. I don't read it that way. Oh, at all. I completely. And that's read why it that I think way. the boyfriends. I don't think so because see she's getting ready to graduate this is her partying
0: yes. this is her going on her um this her... is only th- this is only a three-month story kevin you're telling me she met some guy out of nowhere and in a month got engaged to him
1: no she may have she may have uh been messing around with him that three months earlier or whatever. she may have met him and people date multiple people and all that but i think She realized that it was her time to grow up and she's younger than Mike, presumably she's not 37 graduating college. She's, she's younger than him and she's realizing, okay, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go get my career. I'm ready to grow up. And Mike is 37. And even though he talks the big talk, she sees him as he's going to be a stripper forever until he can't do it anymore. And who knows when that will be. And I'm ready to settle down and move on to the next stage of my life.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I think that he is 100% her side piece. He doesn't realize it because he knows nothing about her. He barely knows her name. And they get together whenever she's horny or he's horny. And they hook up and they bring in a third person, uh, usually another female. And this is what they do. And they really don't know each other. And the moment he maybe is thinking about catching feelings and wanting to open up and get emotional support, she's like, well, this is not what I signed up for. And that's when she stops returning his phone calls and kind of disappears out of his life. And I think that the entire time she is a real life, that is school and a relationship and so forth and so on. And that's what's going on. I think that well, that, what,
1: but that, so what is that? Why does that make the character? I mean, then he's just getting played and that makes yeah. him even more sympathetic, but what does yes. that have to do with making the movie worse or not as good? Like that's, Oh, I don't I'm think not that arguing,
0: I'm not, no, I, my, my point is if you're going to take this shaggy dog approach to your storytelling and you're going to create these events that make the character a sympathetic character, because you're showing this lifestyle he's in is not good for him. Mm-hmm. And then you undermine that by going, I want to make more money, regardless of whatever we're just going to a male stripper pitch perfect festival, and we're just taking our clothes off for charity or for Jesus or whatever the <laughs> hell you want to come up with. <laughs> that's so that's the it's, plot, you, know, right? you just nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that he's not no. yeah, you know, he's he's not back in it for the, the drugs and all that shit. Right. It's still the fact that like this is a self contained story. Cheers. And the, the the technique and the way that Soderbergh and, and the writer and the performer, everything is stylistically designed to tell a con, con, condensed, one-and-done story. Mm-hmm. And when the moment you go, but there's a part two, it, and it's more stripping to me, for whatever the reason is for that stripping, it undermines the strength of this movie. It just does. You can't put it. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, is what I'm saying. And and so it took. Some Sounds of the emotional... like a big dick Richie problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Again, once something from another regions is exposed, you can't put it back in. So, I, I I just again, this wasn't terrible. There's not a bad movie on this list. And an objective like, well, this one's mm. the shits. It's just that we're, we're now looking at it with the benefit of a decade has passed. And I'm a different person than the last time I saw this movie. We yeah. all are. I've experienced different things. And this time through, of the five films I've watched for this binge, this was the least compelling, least effective, despite all of its strengths. And wow. for that reason, it's the worst of the week. It's my number five, and I can only give it a 7.25 out of 10.
1: That is so interesting. I just, I, I, you know, I, I didn't view it that way at all. I I think this movie is really good. I I thought it was going to be my number one going into this and Looper edged it out based on all the things that we said. But I think this movie has so much to say about growing up and figuring out who you want to be and who you think you are based on how other people view you, those struggles of friendship, people who you think you're your friends and people who will, uh, you know, disrespect you in a way to where you've helped them and and then you end up bailing them out time and time again and then when you need them they're gonna be gone most likely and just I don't know just the way the world views you based on how you view yourself i there's just so much that this movie says I think it's filmed really well i I think the performances are excellent I think it's a movie even though it has strippers in it it's not a movie it's not just a movie about strippers like it's the way that moneyball uses baseball to tell a story but it's not a baseball movie you don't have to like baseball to like moneyball it's a very smart script and it's it's you do have to like
0: well, stripping to like Moneyball, though ironically,
1: that is. I mean, that is true, but it's Brad <laughs> Pitt, so you know they get away right. with it. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I I just I think this movie is very smart, very well written and well acted, and has a lot to say. Again, and I think that the meandering way that it's told is not a negative, as you said. I like that the the storytelling techniques used because it is a slice of life, and it is the way that our lives operate, and the way time goes by, and all of a sudden it gets gets ahead of you and you're not 19 anymore you're 37 and you can't get anywhere no matter how hard you work and you don't have the respect and people view you a certain way and so i think it's a very poignant film and i think it's very relatable for a lot of people no matter what your version of stripping is whether it be your you know whether it is your construction job or your nine to five or you're working at the grocery store how many movie
0: podcast
1: or a movie podcast or how many people wait tables in LA waiting for their big break to be an actor. And all of a sudden they're 37 still waiting tables when they moved out at 19 waiting tables as a temporary gig. But right, you right. Know, here they are. It's, I just think that there's so much in this movie that people can relate to. And it's a very well done film.
0: I don't disagree I, with anything you're saying, but I think if you're going to do a slice of life story, you can't make it a slice and a half. And now there's a slice and a half of the story and it doesn't need to be it needs hey. to be a slice of life you, slice of life stories don't have part twos and what i that's what i'm saying i'm saying that that counteracts the very nature of how they chose to tell this story they took a real it took chain Tatum's real life steven soderbergh thought it was an interesting story and created an inventive interesting movie in a low budget and told a very interesting story and then the studio got greedy and it retroactively, for me, takes away some of the significance and punch of the show. Do you think Jurassic Park isn't as good because they made a bunch of crappy sequels? <clears throat> I would say that in Jurassic Park came out, what, 92, 93, 93? 93. Yep. In 97, The Lost World came out. It was a massive disappointment to me. I saw it opening weekend in theaters. I did not revisit Jurassic Park for a good while after that. So we're only a decade removed from this film coming out and however many from. So you ask me another 10 years, maybe I'll have a different opinion. But I'm not in the future. I'm here. So it took me a while to get back to Jurassic Park. And for me, also, it's just, there's such, to me, there's such a big gap between Jurassic Park just timeline-wise, and my own age. One movie I saw at eight or nine or ten. The other movies, I you know the Jurassic World movies. I was damn near thirty when they started coming out. So you're, it's it's very different because you're talking about you know twenty five year old Jason versus thirty five year old Jason or whatever. Uh, it's not as big of a difference as eight year old to twenty five year old or you know what I'm saying. Okay, so,
1: I was just curious. I just I, because the other movies we mentioned. The world has changed since Zero Dark Thirty and are the things that we're bombarded with, with politics and, and the way that it celebrates certain things that now I'm not in a mindset do I, that I want to celebrate and rah, rah, go and all that. James Bond, I think, still holds up, which is the difference between us on those things. But Skyfall still holds up to me, and I don't care even if they made a bad sequel to that, or you know, if one out of two after that were good. Like, I still think Skyfall stands on its own, and obviously, I think Magic Mike is good, so I don't have that problem. But even if, I mean, I have seen the sequel, but even with it being a sequel, and if I think the sequel is not that good, which it isn't, it doesn't retroactively affect the first one. Like, I just, I guess, I just don't have that through line, like. I think there's some bad Star Wars sequels, but I still think the original trilogy is great. It doesn't change my opinion of the originals. Like I don't, if if the world is changing to me, that can affect how I view a film, but I don't just, it doesn't change my opinion of the film because another one exists. Like those movies still exist. Like it's like when they say they make a sequel or remake people say, Oh, it's horrible. They're ruining it. It's like, well, you know, your original still exists And I don't think it takes away just because the studio owns the IP and wants to make a remake. I don't think any lesser of the original, especially when it, most of the people don't have any say in it.
0: I don't necessarily think less of original films in that case, but I, to me it does take away some of the luster of those properties. You know, I, I, we, we covered the predator series last season and there's, if you would ask me two out of six of those movies, uh, before we get to pray, uh, you know, are good
1: mm-hmm.
0: two out of six. So yeah. therefore it dampens my excitement for another predator movie. Cause I'm like, the luster has been taken off of this stuff. And if there are, if I watch a movie and there are interesting ideas or little things that are hinted at or this or that, and I go, uh, well, that's really interesting, but I know what the answers are now. It does take something away from me. I'll tell you, just quite honestly, um, I'm way less captivated by the space jockey, an alien, when I see it now, because now in my brain, I know, well, that's just a guy in a fucking suit. That's not some weird biomechanical elephant creature in a chair. That's not some mysterious alien in a chair. That's just a, a that's just Jesus, space Jesus in a chair. <laughs> so that's just a suit. So it doesn't ruin Alien for me, but it takes that moment from me because I know what they tell me the answers are supposed to be. And that's what it is with Magic Mike. It doesn't ruin the entire movie for me, but it takes, I think this movie, because here's my point, because it's meandering, because it's slice of life, the ending has to button it up in a perfect emotional way where I go, that's it. That got me to the point. That was worth this whole journey we took. Because that's the mode of storytelling They chose to present this story When you switch that at the end And you go, oh, but wait, there's more You mm-hmm. undo a little bit Of that satisfaction of the ending Is what I'm saying
1: Okay, yeah, I, I can see that point for sure But uh, yeah, Again, came not
0: in, terrible, not terrible But just in yeah. comparison to everything else we watched this week It's the lowest for me
1: Okay, well for me it came in at an 8.5 out of 10 It is my number 2 of the week
0: Coming in dead last for me is Magic Mike, 7.25 out of 10. Not bad, but doesn't hold a candle to the rest of these films, in my opinion. Only slightly edging it out of Zero Dark Thirty, which in another universe, after talking to Kevin, might actually, maybe I should adjust that score. I'm not sure. Mm. I give it a 7.75 out of 10. Coming in number three... Just watching that is Holy Motors, which you give an eight out of ten. Coming at number two is Skyfall, which I which I thought was going to be my number one. That was a big surprise for me. Uh, I still grade it very high. I really enjoyed it. Just didn't take as much away from it as I thought it would. Eight point five out of ten. And number one, arguably the biggest sleeper on this list, and the biggest shocker for me is Looper, which you give a six point uh, sorry, which I give an eight point nine out of ten. Kevin, what's your recap?
1: Sure. So I came in at number five with Zero Dark Thirty with a 7.0 out of 10. My number four was Holy Motors, surprisingly to Jason, with a 7.8 out of 10. Coming in at number three was Skyfall with an 8 out of 10. My second place is Magic Mike, as we just spoke about, 8.5 out of 10. And my number one as Jason's, same, same, uh, almost the same rating, very close. Looper with a nine out of 10 and a very big surprise for me as well.
0: Kevin, if you had to recommend one movie from your binge this week, what would you recommend to the folks listening at home?
1: Definitely Looper. I, yeah, that's right there a, with that's you. That's a, that's a movie that i i loved brick when it came out so i was really excited for looper and was blown away by it then bought it on blu-ray as soon as i could and uh, you know i've i've been a fan of that movie since it was released and i was very happy to see that it held up i had watched it like you a few years ago and still thought it was cool but it wasn't in recent memory and yeah. i did question as I turned it on and started watching, I'm like, "Oh, is this going to be a disappointment?" Something yeah, I had yes, told me. Yes. I I really was bummed when I started watching because I'm like, "Oh my god, am I going to remember it as being so great?" And yeah, and I think it was part of it was like the wonky makeup where it shifted a little bit and it looked different in a scene. I'm like, "Am I going to watch this whole thing being like it didn't look that good? And it wasn't, but man, it sucked me in with that story yep. and the yep. tonal shifts, like you said. And I was so excited as the movie went on and on. I remembered why I loved it so much and was really engaged with it.
0: On our next episode, we'll be ranking Romero's Dead franchise, which includes 1968's Night of the Living Dead, 1979's Dawn of the Dead, 1985's Day of the Dead, 2005's Land of the Dead, 2007's Diary of the Dead and 2009's survival of the Dead Kevin everybody that's listening to this already knows who you are because you've been on the show six times in the last year (laughs) uh i'm guessing we share at least 40 percent of the same audience so uh for the very few people who don't know who you are who are you what do you do where do you come from what's your deepest fear
1: We do a movie show where we review the newest movie of the week, so there's not a ton of crossover with titles that we're reviewing, but we uh, usually try to get out there and see the new biggest movie of the week, I should say, and review it and spoil it right away, so it's real spoilers on all the social media and all the podcatchers, and uh yeah it's in the title so if you don't like movies being spoiled see the movie first because we're going to go through the plot uh other other guests of this show joe and uh has tom done the show with you okay excellent so you you've maybe heard tom on the show you've heard joe on the show so uh it's always a pleasure for me to come back here and uh, it really is a fun time. I was telling Jason before we started recording that it's something I really look forward to. And I appreciate the invite, as always, my friend. And uh, we appreciate all the uh, listeners that we, we do have a lot of cross support between our two shows. And I always love people saying, hey, I found your show or, hey, I found this other show because, you know, someone was a guest. And there's there's so much positivity that goes around in the podcast community and especially between our two shows with our listeners. There's some great people out there. so. Thank you for listening to both of our shows and, and for the support that you give us, whether it be your shares or your comments or your, your ratings and, and the patrons that you know, we both have. It's, it's really wonderful to know that people are enjoying what we're putting out there. So thank you to all the listeners.
0: Look at that. It ended up, after all of this, it ended up just us telling the listening folks at home how much we love and appreciate them. And that's what it's really all about here. Kevin, I love and appreciate you coming on the show, my friend. It's always great to talk to you.
1: It, the pleasure is all mine and, uh, ask me again anytime. And, uh, you know, and obviously we're excited to have you back on the show. So looking forward to, to spreading all the good podcast love.
0: Remember in case. I never, ever see you again in case I fall into the void screaming until next time binge John.